everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. How do I sum up this episode? While the crew has some extremely valuable info on how to aid your youth athletes in finding their passion, they also put an equal amount of effort and energy into determining who would play them in a Power Athlete movie. So shout out to the Productivity Terrorist who asked that question on Instagram. Listening to them debate the minute details of their choice and actors is kind of like when you hear women hash out which celebrity they would bang, you know, saying things like, I just think he'd make a really incredible father. The shortlist of potentials to play John are as follows. Tony Robbins, obvious doppelganger of John. Vince Vaughn or Steve Buscemi. Tune in now to simply hear voices of three people you are not currently stuck in quarantine with. Here it is, episode 360. Power Athlete Nation, what is up? What's this is happening? John with co-host Tex. Hello. And we have a special guest, friend of the podcast, on coming in remote from Power Athlete Studios, Mr. Luke Summers. Hey, uh, uh, Jim, Tom, nice to talk to you guys. Uh, this is Luke. Nice to talk to you. Hey. Hey. How, how's you guys? Oh, it's, it's, aw- it's awesome. Remember? Remember yeah. when I used to sit across from Tim over there? That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> you know what's not awesome? The movie Twister. Mm, why would you bring that up? Nobody knows, but you'll figure it out later in the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. It is time to get into Q&A today. But the first text, I, can I lead this one off with a question? Yes, sir. Is there anything new, oh, say, some sort of online learning that people should really be sinking their teeth into uh, on the Internet? Funny you should ask. At academy.powerathletehq.com. There's an amazing opportunity to continue your education. Education, education. Whether you're a parent, a coach, or a sport coach, we have the opportunity for you to deep dive into ACL injuries. Injuries, injuries, injuries. We got the echo working here, Luke. It's pretty good. But so we mentioned we introduced those stakeholders. So stakeholder in our perspective is someone that has weight in an athlete's performance Certainly that is a parent. It's also the sport coach. And if you're very fortunate, you get the opportunity to work with a a strength coach or a performance coach in your career. A lot of athletes do not have that. So they're going to lean on the sport coach and the parents to guide them and keep them safe on the field or the court. So this course is to empower those stakeholders to teach them risk factors for the ACL and how to see them in your athlete's movement with the purpose of protecting them and keeping them on the field. So this is a course that deep dives into that and provides programming and exercises for you then to apply to your athlete for you to help correct these modifiable risk factors that are present and could affect their performance or long-term because we understand coming back from the ACL based off our guests in previous and upcoming episodes it is a long road yeah and i think people are going to dig in you're going to get about two plus hours of video lecture you got about uh, i'd say you're looking at eight hours to like kind of get through and dig in but you're walking away with an off-the-shelf approach that is like i would call it plug and play 
So you don't have to disrupt what you're doing as a coach. If you're the sport coach, you don't disrupt. You just kind of put your little thin candy shell on, uh, you know, what would be your chocolate filling. Right. And I think that's what we were really diligent about in putting this all together is that we talk to coaches, we talk to sports med, we talk to um, strength coaches and they don't want to change their shit. They believe in their shit. They've worked hard for it. Well, keep your shit then. We're not going to knock it off a pedestal. Um, but here's a few things to sprinkle in to make sure that you are doing the most that you can to really protect your athletes on an individual basis. Really reducing that margin of error is really what we were hoping for. Like putting a set of movements in and a, a really a framework is you as a coach to be able to assess your athletes and then be able to have the corrective movements in there. So you can reduce the margin of error and quite possibly prevent somebody from tearing an ACL. And from a business owner perspective, this is 100% a social intelligence play. We're going to teach you the language that you need to speak to parents and assess their athletes and show them. Don't just tell them what you're going to do. You're able to show them how their, their athlete, their child moves, and the program that you're going to provide to then correct these potential injury mechanisms and then set them free on the field, and they won't have to worry about getting hurt. That stress on the sideline of the parent, I can't imagine it, but I know it's pretty high from talking to the parents that I, I coach their kids. So this is will give you a sense of ease because your coach knows what the hell they're doing in protecting their kids. Head to academy.powerathletehq.com, and you can't miss it. It's right there, ladies and gentlemen. Hop in, sink your teeth in, start protecting your players, children, your athletes. Make it happen. And we're excited to welcome our guest, Luke, to the show and dive into user-generated questions. We call those UGQs in the business text. Mm, mm, mm. There's an acronym for this. Mm-hmm. Is that real? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I don't know. I just made that up. Well, I know there's UGC. I don't know if there's a UGQ. And then, uh, ladies and gentlemen, find out. You'll have to you'll have to wait till the very last three minutes of this episode to really find out how McQuilkin has let me down today. I mean, just. <laughs> <laughs> all the air out of my tires. I, I, don't, I don't know. Think, I mean, have, it's not have me taking disappointed the air. like this before. Never, never in my life. Yeah, this might be the biggest disappointment you've ever encountered. Holy cow. So you'll have to listen to the whole thing, ladies and gentlemen. Or maybe it was in the middle. I can't remember. Maybe it was in the beginning. So text, I'm tricking him. It's a tactic to get him to listen to the whole thing. Well, I'll tell you what. They can also get more disappointment on each morning on our brew in our brew with the crew. Well, tomorrow's <laughs> going to be beers with the crew, hopefully. Yep. So, are we have more UGQs generated <laughs> from you, listeners out there, that you serve up to us to just rap and talk about nothing, which are not as rapid fire as today's questions. We just dig into one each day. And deep dive. So if you would like more UGQs and hear us banter about nothing, YouTube, Sip and Brew with the crew. If you want to enter a question for us, powerathletehq.com backslash brew. B-R-E-W. All right. Let's, let's, uh, let's get chatting. Let's answer some of these questions. And uh, I just figure what I'm going to do is I've been looking for a barber chair. We'll mm-hmm. just get a barber chair and then we'll just have her come and we'll get periodic haircuts and we'll call it like part of our Friday tradition and we'll just yeah. expense our haircuts. Yeah. Every so third Friday. 
that'll be power athletes. Uh, three weeks. Yeah. I'm a three week haircut guy. Now I've decided. Yes, I will opt in every three months, but I'll hang out. Next. Are you out of like, here's what text doesn't understand. All right. Power athlete nation. Welcome to the premier podcast. Oh, are we, are we live? Next. Here's the thing about having a pretty girl come cut your hair. You really want to see her only once every three months, or no, would you do it? I think like, this is your opportunity to make an impression and potentially find a future life mate on someone who, you've been long conning for who three can cut years hair. to get a haircut every six months. Uh, I think like uh, every three months is a, or three weeks is a little aggressive. I think every like four to six weeks is okay. Like I know for Cashy, it's got to be every month because his fucking hair grows so fast. But I think, like, uh, if we just set it up, get a barber chair, have a little deal, and then she can just come here, and then we just tell people, be like, hey, it's uh, having haircuts. Who wants to come? And then we just well, get people haircuts. There is this show, and LeBron James, I, I th- believe it's just called Barbershop, or maybe that's the movie, but Le- LeBron gets other pro athletes to come in and just kind of, like, talk, talk about locker room, behind-the-scenes stuff. So it's just literally that. Dude's just sitting around in a barbershop talking shop, and then HBO just presses record. I'm in. You know, you know what? I don't know why this is making me think of this person, but I'm imagining like sending an invite to this person and they show up for it. But I saw Rudy Reyes surfaced on, uh, on our Instagram feed. He yep. went like a long diatribe on the, or, um, the Knees Out article. Yep. And I'm like, where's Rudy been? And why is he so interested in this knees out stuff? Did you did you happen to come across no, that voice? I, I, oh, I yeah. did, and I responded, nobody fucks with the Jesus. <laughs> you said it, man. Oh, was he in support or against? <laughs> oh, no, he was in support of Zanis's article. Mm-hmm. And the the poppy title, I'll tell you, caught some caught some eyes, but by eyes you mean vaginas? Well, no, Rudy. Rudy are. attracted those, but the um, he's yeah, no, and he was all in support because I just conventional thinking. I believe from his experience with martial arts, combined with what he may have been told from strength and conditioning coaches, and his experience of the expression of power and plyometrics that could come from fighting, and then strength coaches telling him otherwise, but him performing and dominating. Yeah. So maybe he was just at a it co- had a cognitive dissonance back when well, coaches told him this. We had a pretty amazing conversation at Sornex a couple of years ago, where we were actually talking about the toes forward and more importantly the knee over the instep. And he got into this whole. I don't know if you guys remember we were over there and he started getting into all like uh, the martial arts and the punching and the kicking and positions, and then showing me rotating the hips where like as the knee comes starts here and then tracks that there's never a time where the knee goes outside of the foot and puts you into that position. The only time that that would happen is if you were falling and your, you know, your body was going that way, but talked about it in terms of generating force and, and angles and um, actually understood it. You know, we talked a lot about like uh, elbow, you know, elbow down straight punching opposed from, you know, telegraphing and just had a really pretty uh, interesting conversation. What I really like about Rudy is uh, Rudy is forever grounding everything in his past. Like, hey, when I was young, we did this and this is a success I saw and now this is how it fits into that paradigm that he kind of views as like this, uh, you know, like a um, place that he, you know, 
all the information comes from. Like that's like his grounding. This is where he learned it. This is what worked for him. And then everything, you know, and I think where he gets confusion is where these fundamentals that he learned at such a young age, uh, when people come in with conflicting ideas and like, I think what he's constantly looking for is some form of like consistency. And the re- I don't know why, but when you're talking about like, Hey, we'll put a flare out who wants to get a haircut. Like I just imagine like Rudy coming in from like the back the back of your property and just his silkies and be like, Hey John, I'm here for the haircut. He's like, how did you get here? <laughs> He's like, uh, I have I've a chopper literally been off. here the entire time you have. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I do. It'd be great. I, um, I had about a hour, hour and a half conversation with Paul Carter today. Mm. He called me, uh, you know, that's kind of what guys like us do. I guess we call and talk on the phone now. I didn't, I mean, which is totally fine. Uh, but, uh, we, you know, trying to really get him excited and motivated to really launch his stuff on train heroic. And I think he's, yeah, yeah. he's feeling like a little apprehension, you know, like, cause his programming is pretty gym specific. And I was like, well, dude, why don't you create like a gym, uh, like a garage gym version and like a basic equipment list. Cause he actually works with one-on-one clients. And when they reach out to him, he's like, <clears throat> he has a form that's like, Hey, Phil, like, what do you have access to? And then sure. he writes them a custom program. Oh. based off of what they have. Yeah. And I was like, dude, like, okay, I would assume the one thing that we're going to see after this, you know, uh, quarantine ends and things go back to our semblance of normal is I don't think people that like to lift weights are ever going to be put in a disadvantage again. I think most people, I would hope most intelligent people will look to develop some form of garage gym. Now it doesn't have to be extremely, you know, detailed, but like a rack, a barbell, a place to do pull-ups, some dips, and maybe an adjustable bench and some dumbbells and maybe, a, you know, a kettlebell or whatever you like if you want to swing them. And, um, you know, maybe a, a heavy vest to do a ruck or some form of a salt bike or something. And like, and I told him like, well, dude, why don't you just have two programs, one for like the Globo and one for the garage and uh, like just launch those two. Cause I told him like, what if, what if everything starts to go back to normal, people go to the gyms, and then all of a sudden something happens and we got to go back? You don't want to have your pants down. You want to have preparation. And I talked about, you know, where Third Monkey came from and how we were able to spin that up so quickly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, all of a sudden, because he was like, you know, I was thinking of putting out programs, but they don't, you know, the people are out of this and this and everybody's out of this. And I'm like, you know, the one thing people aren't out of? Concrete and cinder blocks and stuff, 50 bucks you can get at Home Depot. And I think, uh, you know, I, I told him, like, hey, subscribe to it. Like, see if you, like, could execute and understand it. Um, but uh, I think, um, uh, and, then we, and then we got in talking about, you know, he's really, he's really interesting in that he wears his heart on his sleeve a lot with, like, his relationships and how he views this stuff. And so we got talking on that, and I realized, I was like, you should talk to John Howard. So yeah. I plugged him in with John Howard, got him on a text chain, and I was like, hey, man, John Howard's probably one of the most switched on dudes I've ever met in terms of relationships and understanding this. I think you guys would have some amazing conversations. Let me plug you yeah. in. So I plugged him in with John Howard. Make connections. Yeah. Just because, uh, I, I, like, Paul's an interesting cat, man. He, um, you know, a power lifter, bodybuilder, you know, like writer, T Nation, has this really interesting persona. And then he comes out and, like, yeah, we're friends on Facebook. He'll have these, like, things about relationships and here and his thoughts and this. And it's just like, it's so outside the vein of what he's known for and what he does that I just find, you know, me, I always find like when people have these, you know, extreme parallels, it's really kind of funny. You wouldn't think some guy who's, you know, bangs weights and, you know, 
big muscle dude, lift heavy weights, and that whole deal would be like, you know, his eternal search for acceptance and love and feeling the need to be loved and, you know, what it looks like to have a, you know, uh, a soulmate and all this stuff where, like, uh, you know, at, at one time in my life, I probably would have been like, oh, what a douche. But now, it like, you know, as a father and this, like, I can see that people have this sense of, like, belonging, especially in this quarantine. Like, you imagine if you were quarantined by yourself and you did have your sego to come home to. I mean, if you're like, you know, McQuilkin has us, thank God. But, like, what if you didn't have that and it was just you alone and, like, you know, and then you're thinking, like, well, man, if this ever happens again, I don't want to be here by myself. So you either got to get a dog or you got to meet somebody. Yeah. And it goes, I think it, it's like, you know, I'm thinking back to Kara Miller and her talk and the fanaticals and a sense of belonging and degrees of validation. And I think that we naturally kind of silo social, romantic, professional. And there's in those silos, a lot of people just, there's this loop of validation and even belonging and challenge and like the trials and tribulations, that wavelength that I think you need to just to keep on getting on. And if you don't have one in there, it just becomes a squeaky wheel. And that's the biggest thing in your life. You know what I mean? Um, that's my, that's my totally unqualified assessment. I started Tara's Swartz book, The, the Source. Source. Yeah. So before, prior to our podcast with her, it was essentially a thumb through, try to gain as many principles or questions pulled from it, just a synopsis. And then now I just started it, but that is essentially her, her, what's the intro to a book? That's not an actual book. Forward, uh, introduction? Forward, forward introduction that, that goes into it. Her, her preface? Yeah. So essentially her life leading up to the moment in which she wrote the book has always just been a, a drive from her parents to become this. And then she got married and it was always pushing towards this up, up, up until like the rocket started to fall down towards space. And she realized where she was just without this network. Her, her career hit a stall the same time that her marriage wrote a, and she wrote about this hit the stall and then she was left in this position where she had to finally search who she was through all this and then combine her neuro, uh, her neurological study and information and research, everything she's done up into that point into her life with now this power of finding a passion within life. So she combined her study with this drive and natural force that she felt from being in this this. I won't call it rock bottom, but this, this position looking up for more. Wow. I, um, uh, so when Kara Miller was on, um, she talked about there's a master class about the presidents and leadership. So I clicked on the master class today and I was looking at it and I just emailed her and I was like, hey, was this, I mean, there's really only one, just confirming this is one you're going to talk about because I hate to buy it and have it not be the one. Uh, but then I started clicking around on all the master class stuff and there's like Malcolm Gladwell, and like a bunch of these, like I got really excited and there's a, uh, if you buy, it's like 180 bucks, I think for, yeah, yeah 180 uh, all access or 90 for one. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, well, it's, uh, 180 for all access. And in the next four days, if you buy one, you get to gift one to somebody for free. So I was like, Oh, this is a really good, this, you know, I mean, BOGO, buy one, get one free. Uh, but like, as I was clicking through and looking at all the master classes, like, like there was just some really interesting one. Uh, they had, um, what's his name? Uh, Phil, 
uh, like the world, like one of the top uh, world circuit, world series of poker players talking about poker. Hell muse. Yeah. Uh, how to bluff. I mean, just some really fascinating stuff. And I'm, I'm like looking at this and I'm like looking at my life and being like, do I really have a week to just disappear to like soak up all this stuff? I'm like, and I was telling Kate, I was like, we, sh- we should just go on vacation and I can just sit in the hotel room and absorb all this information. Uh, but man, I, uh, I was so excited to like be like, it, it felt like, um, when I was in college, like they would have like visiting professors come and give lectures. Uh, I felt like it was that same deal. Like a visiting professor shows up and like lectures and you get to go to this amazing event, but man, like pretty exciting. So I was trying to decide which of you bums I would want to gift it to, uh, seeing as that. Why don't you just do, why don't we do the 180, 180 a year and then just do like a, we time block four hours a week to smash two of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm, well, I, I, dude, I'm totally into buy them. Uh, I was like, there's like a four day deal, but we get one. I mean, that way we we have them. But I, I really think if you guys want to take it, like like a book club, we all take the same course. We set it up in here and we go through it. They're like three hours, three and a half hours, I think. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm, dude, Malcolm Gladwell was excited about. There was uh, this lady's like a presidential historian. I think, dude, that one's epic. Uh, Neil Tysegrass has one on like critical, like scientific thinking and how to like. Which understand. which one does Neil Patrick Harris teach? Um, I don't remember. How to be um, awesome. That would be a good one. Uh, uh, Simone Biles teaches <laughs> I don't the think gymnastics that's real. one. Uh, Stephen Curry. Oh, Houstonian. Uh, I'm not really excited on uh, any of the sports ones. I don't know why. Like, uh, like that doesn't excite me. But like, there's a cooking one, which I was like, oh. There's... Is it Rachel Ray? No, it's. Um, I think it's Gordon Ramsay. Oh, who I love. Yeah, he's great. I'm, I'm like such a Gordon Ramsay fan. Like, I like the fact like he comes out and uh, he told that chick, I guess, who burned something. She's like. The only thing I've seen darker than this is Kim Kardashian's boyfriend. Burn. Or, the, or, or this chicken is so burned. Like, he used a line like that that I was like, God damn it, I love this guy. I, I've never watched full shows. I've just seen lots of different clips. But I've seen him on his kid's Iron Chef yeah. or whatever the hell is his kitchen. I think Hell's it's Hell's Kitchen. kitchen? Kids yeah. Hell's Kitchen, whatever that one is. And I think it's awesome coaching because he's giving these kids very constructive and detailed but also like a an opportunity to strive towards feedback he, versus just berating them like the adult versions. He had a, an amazing like I, I like there was a couple clips that he had on YouTube. One was like how to cook a perfect steak. And then there was another one, how to cook a perfect pork chop. Uh, I watched the steak one in the pork chop and I was like so excited. I watched it. And then I realized that like his ingredient list of what he required would require me to go to the store and buy a lot more stuff that I'll probably never use to cook another steak. So and it's then, not just salt and butter? No. Uh, there's like, you know, you got to like bring up the butter and you do this, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of steps. So like I kind of started, you like he cooks everything in a pan, like he'll, he'll like uh, sear it and do this and come, you know. So I started using his reverse sear and it just like, it's pretty good, man. He, he had this pork chop thing like absolutely insane like pork chops and then when i cooked the steak classy pork chops i did his little deal and to this day they're the best pork chop i've ever had uh and even the kids were like smashed like i i cooked like three of them and thinking like the kids aren't gonna eat pork chops absolutely slayed all of the pork chops even any of the leftovers i got up in the morning i was like did you guys eat all the pork uh, leftover pork chop and they're like yep i'm like oh look at that amazing pork chops and i you know they're their chicken's pretty good, dude. Their chicken breasts are pretty good. Yeah. Uh, you know, we did last night, uh, which I, I did. Uh, Kate had a bunch of ground chicken. So 
I pan fry or I just like cooked the uh, cooked it and then I dumped it into a, a pot of um, uh, like tomato like the pasta sauce, and then I found gluten free pasta, cooked the gluten free pasta and actually made the kids like uh, would it be like chicken uh, pasta. Yeah, chicken meat sauce. Yeah, chick- yeah, yeah, chicken meat sauce pasta. Uh, I <laughs> I made like I haven't had pasta like pasta in a long time. Like, I'm more of a rice person than a pasta person, but I found like a a, a rice based pasta that was gluten free. Um, I must have had easily a pound of pasta, and then I covered it with actually 16 ounces. So it was one pound of chicken and like this mound of stuff. Stuff, and the kids look and they're like, "Oh, geez." I'm like. Three, two, one, and just inhaled it. And the kids were like, oh. And I'm like, dude, I smoked you guys. We'll race. I was so hungry. Man, I was hungry last night. Uh, but yeah, we uh, spent the whole day, like Dr. Bob's for like a couple hours working on Kate's ankle. And then, you know, she couldn't walk. And then we got her a boot. And it's just, and then this morning, like that whole deal, like just trying to get her up. And But then, thank God Harry showed up at crutches because now she's mobile. But. Yeah, it's wild, crazy stuff. Hey, Tex, we got questions, right? Q&A? Oh, yeah. So we, John and I put out a call to action today. Dun, dun, dun. And we have dialed in. We've phoned a friend, and we have a special guest. So co-host John and myself invite a friend of the podcast, the Luke Summers, oh, to the show. Friend of the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. It's, it's a pleasure. Uh, I see that you're in the same room as me. Yeah, it's weird. I, it's like I can't see you, but I can see you. So we have a lot of questions, a lot of good ones. I want to start us off with training and a very relevant question in the times and coaches, athletes may be I just scrolled away from it, pulling up. They may be facing this. All right, here we go. <clears throat> what are you guys thoughts on Globo gyms opening back up? And when they do, at a limited capacity, should a Jack Streeter, Turner, Third Monkey think about moving to the flexibility of a grindstone Third Monkey program hybrid? Getting into the gym on heavy days and home on lighter days. Thanks, gents. I'll defer to my guest. You know, seeing as usually, usually like to let the guest speak first. Oh, yeah. Um, so the, the hybrid thing's an interesting concept. Um, number one, man. I am curious. I bet you the experience is going to be terrible at these global gyms because there's just, they, they carry so I'm curious how liability is going to be spread out on this thing. How are, how are business owners and companies going to be protected from potential um, like micro outbreaks as a result of their, their, you know, like their business practices, like assuming even if they do um, follow all of the precautions, right? Like, uh, you know, John, let's say they have the mask and the glove and the sanitizing, like those aren't to, like, none of that shit guarantees the spread of it. Right. But all of it improves your likelihood that you won't get it. But what if you fucking get it? Like, well, but I don't um, know. And then if you're, if you're going to bang weights, do you really want to wear rubber gloves? And like, well, um, um, they're not saying rubber gloves. It just has to be gloves that cover the fingers to the, to the wrists. So, you so can they could w- be like batting yeah. gloves or something. Yeah, batting or like receiver or, or some form of football or work gloves. So mechanics, and then you can wash them because they're washable mo- more so than some of the other gloves that aren't washable. But like but then football you're doing gloves that. are washable. You're doing that. You're wearing the mask. You What else? Like you, you have to spray everything down. Well, like 
I'm just curious to see how it goes. And I could be totally wrong and it may not be that big of a pain in the ass. But my, I would say if you're a Jack Streeter, man, yeah, I think he'd, I, I, I don't know. And I'm just thinking of like the Gold's Gym, Rested Soul, uh, that was in, um, in downtown Austin. The stories that Dusty used to tell us trying to go there after work, like it was a madhouse. Yeah, well, they're yeah. limiting at 25% occupancy, which I think is actually worse because now, like, they like, – but here's the thing. Don't they always function on 25% occupancy? Uh, occupancy? Like, Not occupancy, but membership, right? So at peak hours, it's probably, like, most hours is 25% occupancy. But before work and after work hours, I bet you they're at, like, damn near 80% capacity. Yeah, yeah. I'd be interested to see what the capacity is because I've never – I never went to Gold's Gym – during peak hours, like I would, well, I would go in the morning at six and there wasn't that many people, but I always heard that five o'clock was really the busy time. And like one time I was in there at about like three thirty or four o'clock and, uh, these like four bros came in with like their Dynamax balls and we're doing some like bastardized hybrid CrossFit, like just fucking organized Jack Adness, like throwing these things and doing like, I was like, time to go, you know, like it just, was ridiculous like i'm yeah man you know i think i think okay so you look at your gold's gym membership what was it john 50 bucks uh 39 dollars 39 dollars you annualize that that comes out to call 400 dollars it's a little shade under 400 dollars can you at the end of this take that 400 dollars split you know let's say double that 800 dollars and outfit your gym your your garage to be suitable to follow Jack Street with eight hundred dollars. Well, like I was talking to Paul today, we talked about it. He he's living in a um, he lives in a, like a condo townhome, and he's like, I don't really have like we can't park. Like I think there's an association, so like I don't think they can park. They can only park like X amount of cars in the driveway and on the street, and his girls live with them. So he parks in the garage, then the girls park on the driveway. Let's say. So he's like, if I had, he's like, there's really no ability for me to build a garage gym, I guess, because I wouldn't, I couldn't park my car. And I thought that was kind of a unique one. So he goes and trains. His buddy's got like a full gym at his garage that he lets him train at like 20 minutes away. So I asked him, I'm like, Are you gonna go back to a Globo? Because he goes to a gym three minutes. And he's like, uh, maybe, but he's like, I really like training at my buddy's gym. One, I can listen to any music I want. Like there's no, you know, every, like it's just, it's so much more like, liberating i'm like and it appears to be more authentic when i when i see like videos of dudes training in more like killer garage gyms i'm more excited by that than seeing like some fucking globo gym john do you think that there's a so i i mentioned this a while not a while ago a week maybe a week or two ago they like an app right where you can match training style and somebody who like who's a hub and other people who need you know, like need to or a hive and other little beat worker bees out there that they're looking to bang weights, but they don't have like they're in Paul's situation. They have a gym that they can bang weights at. But let's say fuck a mile away, there's a dude who's a good bro, likes Boondock Saints, watches Predator on repeat every month, um, has a really bitchin' three car garage that's two of the bays are converted to a gym, and he's just looking for someone to bang weights with. How do you match those people up? I mean, what's the uh, what's the app your wife is on? Pee in a pod or? Pod. Grinder, I'm on Grinder. No, what's the one where your <laughs> wife like meets other pregnant women, like peas in the pod? It's called pe- Peanut. Peanut, Peanut. Maybe there's an app like that's like like Peanut, but just like bro. 
like find other bros banging weights in your neighborhood and maybe bros if you go banging over, with bros. and if you go over and you go because i mean here's the deal like if all of a sudden we were on it and some bro hit us up i would be very leery to let any other bro walk into my house of bro that's why you got to do there's like a process there's a screening process you got to like you got to go out grab a beer grab a coffee talk about your numbers um I don't know, but it certainly is a risk because then like you're opening up your home. So now they know where your home is. Yeah, yeah this is like yeah, terrible. Sketchy. This idea is terrible. <laughs> well, it's, it's like, um, uh, who's the, uh, did you guys see, I forwarded you the thing with TMZ with the, uh, the safety from Baltimore. Um, uh, Michael Thomas, he's yeah. a University of Texas alum. So this Michael, occurred in Austin. Michael Thomas, did you see that? He, uh, his wife, basically, they called the police. She had him at gunpoint and or knife point or something, I guess, uh, did a little sleuthing and found him and his brother at some Airbnb with a couple ladies of the night and uh, caught them all in bed together, I guess, doing what I don't know. Maybe they were resting. And, uh, and then they called the police oh. and she had him at fucking gunpoint. <laughs> and then he like posted on his, he's like, yeah, TMZ's coming out with some shit on my birthday. This ain't how I want my birthday to come out. <laughs> what? How about like an Airbnb mom? Mm. Jim B and B, Air G Y M. Yeah. So then, what? Somebody shows up and they book like a two-hour session, and you know they have like they provide a gym cleaning fee, and you go and clean the gym, and then they go on a bang and then you clean it again. Maybe I don't know, but that like so the man, it is it is an interesting situation, and maybe this is going to be this maybe starts to solidify the need of like that third monkey track. Right. And where we had talked about, Oh, maybe there's one that's not so austere and it's minimal equipment list. You need a set of dumbbells in your living room and uh, you know, like a, a, a jump band or whatever to, for some arm work and additional work. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's minimalist throughout the week. And then you just need to go find a barbell two days a week to make it happen. Well, I always like what, uh, you know, Freddie and China did where they poured concrete and put up a pull-up structure out in their front yard, like literally in their front yard. And then they built a garage gym and like, uh, they're constantly adding to it. And like, uh, like, I think, I think after this, man, people are going to really, really, really take a look and say, you know what? And with options like Sornex is like, um, you know, the rack that they had, uh, did you guys set that up or have you used it or? Off the off the grid deal? No, yeah. we haven't we haven't got it yet. I think they're shipping. They're fulfilling all the orders and then gonna ship them with us. Out, yeah. The uh, um, but yeah, Victor, uh, you know, one of my neighbors back in Newport Beach, he got one and bars and found him some bumpers and you know some dumbbells and helped him build out a garage gym. But what he liked is that it had the real minimalist footprint, so that you know he could still park his car in the garage. So then he was like, you know, and then he hit me up. He's like, hey, do you know anybody that can help me install this thing? So I like hit turn on to another buddy who's a contract, you know, go over there and get them all set up. But I think um, like that piece is important. But I, I like like the fact that my brother Eddie put his expensive cars on the street and built their own garage gym blows my mind. Like he's you know his wife he's got a Porsche and his wife got what like a Cadillac, and like now they're parking their cars on the street and uh, you know so it, like it's it's pretty interesting. I just think people will not be caught with their pants down again. Like they won't be put in this situation. I think people will go back, but they're going to have some option to train at home because what happens if something else happens or, you know, something like this rolls out again, nobody wants to be like, ah, fool me once, you know, fool me twice. 
So I don't know. What's our advice for this dude? Uh, I think it's a great idea. I think you should have Jack Street. Um, if, I, I would think something like Grindstone, which allows you to have some core heavy days that you go in and then be able to pick up, um, you know, maybe some dumbbells, a couple kettlebells, and maybe a few pieces of equipment that you can use on the optional recommended days. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, what do you, what do you think about spinning up third monkey, right? And it, it evolves into like a, a split session deal where, if you're, you know, there's in gym work and then there's like austere gym work same day. Right. And then that becomes a core program for this hybrid approach, because I think that's the way, dude, I'm telling you, I think that's the way people are going is they're going to try and get two to three sessions. What maybe one, one to three sessions in a gym. And then they're just going to try and be active at home. Right. Well, why, it's going to be a hassle. why not, uh, why not take third monkey into like a Johnny bod kind of, uh, kind of theme where it's like a bolt-on accessory program to any other program, you know, put like a, you know, and like use it in that kind of right. means where you're like, Hey, any program you have, you can just bolt on a uh, third monkey, like a Johnny bod. And yep. which is just, you know, and that's your kind of like situation where you go in, you have your training program and I got this austere program bolted on that. You know what? Like maybe I don't want to go to the gym that day. Maybe I can't, maybe I'm just going to hit something at home. Mm-hmm. Or, and then, yeah, there's a, and then there's the, maybe the other half of it that is just, you know, we talked about this as well. That is the ongoing, just barbell work. Right. So think of like the top layer. If let's say someone to take third monkey, top layer, third monkey, accessory work, full program, or they want to just do Johnny Wad and third monkey. I'm just trying to think, we'll have to think that through pal, but we're going to, we'll come up with something novel for you. But we will have an answer for you. Yes. And all those out there in a similar situation. Sticking with training in a long-term approach, we got a pretty good question here. John, this is for you. Power athlete program periodization. If you had four years using your different power athlete programs, how would you lay it out to make an absolute pipe hitter for a human being? Um, I would start with our bedrock program and I would follow a basic linear progression for at least, at least six months, if not longer, maybe more like eight months. I don't know if you'd be able to do it a year. You probably have too many losses, but somewhere in that six or seven months, assuming you gave it like the gas for six or seven months, not this, like I did it for two and then stop, but literally like foot on the accelerator pedal for six or seven, eight months. Uh, once everything failed on all the linear progression, I would move into uh, field strong and I would do field strong for probably about two years. And that would put me, or maybe about a year, maybe a year and a half. And then I would transition, do a little Jack street for about eight or 10 months. And then I would go back to field strong and bolt on some, uh, some sprint stuff into it. I think that the, uh, I've always said it, man, like uh field strong will always be the flagship and some of the best programming uh, that I think is out there for developing and fostering athleticism. And if the goal is to really fucking kick the door off the hinges, I think following something like field strong and then periodizing into Jack street where you like hit all the high CNS, all the speed, all the jump, all the plyo, all the really jiggy stuff. And then going in doing a straight hypertrophy program for a short period or for an extended period. And then going back, I think pays massive dividends. And then I guess if you get blindsided by a kid, a job, something stressful, that's let's say maybe four, six, eight, ten months, 
you always got grindstone to fall back on, you know, in terms of a choose your own adventure and then still keep the training volume recoverable, but effective. Right. Yeah. Kate's, um, you know, she was doing a triphasic, uh, she did the triphasic block and then she's been doing Johnny Wad until she hurt herself yesterday or the day before. But, um, her comment was, uh, after doing the triphasic, which had a lot of volume, she's like, man, the Johnny Wad, it doesn't have the volume, but she said the intensity is through the roof. And I kind of told her, I was like, hey, you know what? Like, we found that volume is what really crushes people and the intensity is easier to recover so we can do a higher higher uh, frequency of workouts. And, um, you know, I asked people to go heavy, hard, short, and fast. And, uh, you know, so coming from something that was like this 92-hour or 90-minute, two-hour triphasic program that had all these different, like, blocks and this and this, going to something that was like, hey, I want you to work up to a 5RM, we're going to do some max reps, and then jumping right in and doing just some fucking heavy, heavy smash wad. Uh, she was like, I feel like I'm in and out, but she's like, it's, it's a really interesting stimulus. And I was like, wow, thanks. That's exactly what I was going for. I mean, I know there are some days in like the program kind of cycles with volume and intensity, and we're really in an intensity phase right now um, within these cycles. So, like the Johnny D's coming in fucking hot next week. It's going to melt people's fucking asses, dude. I went back to the old school and put some reverse wall walks in. Uh-oh. <laughs> All, and also threw in uh, mixed little wall walks with deadlifts. Oh. It's great. Classic CrossFit football. Oh, yeah. I even said it. I'm like, I'm bringing it old school. We're going way back to the, to the old days. So it was you, know what I, you know what, John? What do you think about on that? Um, like assuming – I'm assuming like there is like their – your life is dedicated these four years of training, right? When you get into the um, – when you get into the Jack Street – um, the Jack Street block, throwing in speed kills as well to have like to maintain the high level of, um, kind of coordinative ability. You're going to have this hypertrophy. You want to put the mass to work in a dynamic manner, right? I 100% back and agree with this statement, and I know from experience. So in no, the in, no, you don't. <laughs> in the initial Jack Street, the, easy, easy the 22 week. 22 Jack Street. Jack Street. If you hashtag that, that's a throwback from freaking five or six years ago. But the original test Different program. Than 21 Jump Street. Yeah. And, and Luke and I were on the bulk. I w- didn't want to waste a calorie because it was very difficult for me to to be a gainer. And I didn't I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But uh, yeah, so stopped running. And then my back down, coming back down from the Jack Street, I just felt like freaking slow as all hell. And I was coaching at high school and I was playing some pickup like basketball with the guys. And they were just like, they, they, I was getting made fun of by these 16 year old kid, wiener kids. Like I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe. It was, it was horrendous. So maintain your running technique as you're putting on the bulk during this period. So, I mean, that could even be as little as getting out there on Saturday and tempo runs in which you're striding and just uh just hitting your technique but we're not stressing anything and in particular that would take away from your mass gains gotcha cool nailed it all right we're gonna uh this is a two-parter part one i'm going to throw john's way and luke i know you you would have some experience on this using bfr so this person in particular is asking because they don't have access to a weight room so adding bfr plus additional isometric and eccentric work 
will this be beneficial when I do not have equipment or if I'm an athlete working with a, an injury or a limitation? Yeah, I think um, if you were to use our manual resistance protocols with a bunch of uh, really interesting, fun uh, isometric contractions and some blood flow restricted work, I think you could do very well uh, in in a situation where, let's say, you were locked in a you know thousand square foot or eight hundred square foot apartment and without the ability to leave, I think that would be a very viable option. Um, you would need a partner to really be able to do the partner resisted manual resistance. Uh, the BFR would be another interesting one because, like we said, um, you know, it's not necessarily weight dependent as much as it's more uh, failure dependent. So as long as you could do something to failure, and then uh, you know, there's some really solid research with uh, doing some isometrics. Like one of my favorites is I was watching you guys do the uh, isometric RDL with a strap, and then like you could do it all like on a vertical pull and a horizontal pull. I mean, there's a lot of different w- movements that you can do, and then you can change with different joint angles, mm-hmm. like you know, like mid here and here, and you can change and find you know some different pieces. So and John's really talking about on third monkey yep. the in order for us to get we we couldn't replicate a deadlift, just not possible with our our limitations. So what we did was a, an RDL or a deadlift formation isometric hold. And we have one angle, but we could add a couple. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple different angles uh, you could get in there. Um, but I think that'd be a, a very viable program. I know the original information when Raphael first started using the manual resistance came from like World War One, uh, where the fighter pilots were going on these really long bombing missions and they were finding like a ton of atrophy. So they started doing some manual resistance and uh, I know they, they combated it very well. So. That was kind of where he pulled originally a lot of the manual resistance stuff. It's always been very, I, I, I love it. I think it's great. And I know this guy's working with some high school and college athletes. So second part of this question, when working out with high school or collegiate athletes, what would power athletes version of a return to play be? There is a new rule at the NCAA level that is called a 50, 30, 20, 10. What would Power Athlete's version of that look like? And so I pulled it up for y'all. As John, you can see there. Basically, this is one of the first collaborations between the NSCA and the CSCCA, who don't like each other, but as an opportunity to return to play. So for our listeners... They seem like two vultures picking at the same dead carcass (laughs) and fighting for, for supremacy of who gets the eyeballs. It's what this seems like. That's an interesting observation. The, so for the 50, 30, 20, 10 rule, basically what this is is you're four weeks out, or excuse me, four weeks into your off-season program. So your kids are off for one month, two weeks, however the hell you get off for yours, and you must provide documentation, so proof. This is to fight kids from dying and getting rhabdo and sure. all that. So you must provide proof of an, a program you originally wrote, and then the first week you are administering only 50% of that original program. Then the second week you're on to 70%, then the third week 80%, and then the fourth week 90-10 into it. Should it be called the 50-70-80-90-100 rule? Well, I mean, don't I be ridiculous, Wellborn. What do you know? <laughs> Uh, I don't, the rule in general. So I was at the, the formal like presentation when this was bequeathed. Yes. When this was bequeathed to the coaches, I was, I was standing in the room. 
bequeathed. No, it's an F. Don't Is listen it? to him. It's bequeathed. Bequeathed. Uh, was right. it Freudian slip? I don't know, but. Uh, yeah, I was no, I was in the the presentation room, and they were it was it was crazy because the the two heads were still going after each other when they so the one side was putting down the other for for doing this being too research based, and the other was putting down the other side for just like playing off the cuff, and they were blaming each other for these kids passing away, so. It in the presentation, it was putting down like we, they didn't even get to the rule in the document. The presentation, it was just trying to like ego as as we talked in one of our morning brews. So, how would our return to play look any different for like the first th- four weeks of our off season? Uh, probably getting away from using percentages based off our end of spring so if we're talking football in june 1st is our return to strength and conditioning in preparation for next season it would probably not use our april weightlifting tests as our baseline to provide our percentages and i'm using quotation marks to build our strength and conditioning program so that'd be well, yeah you do you percent on a daily matrix or like a five-day window yeah. right yes this this is well, common knowledge for our approach but in in the world of the 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 college weight room it is very percentage dogma uh, yeah they man there's the problem is is that these guys are are uh, i think what they're trying to do is they're trying to follow the leader instead of coming up with their own solutions and like it's just it's we've seen this universally time and time again where people do something because somebody else did it and they can't you know, their ability to deviate looks a little different. Like you talked about, I think yesterday where you wanted to work with the female lacrosse team, but you weren't interested in, you know, just training them for their conditioning test. And then they wanted to go in a different direction to find somebody that did what they want, which yeah. I always think is so ironic. Cause you're like, I'm not telling you how to coach. I'm not telling you about playing lacrosse. I'm trying to, why do you feel that, uh, you understand strength conditioning? I mean, it's not what you study. It's not what you work. You're just going off of this emotional deal. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but um, I think if they followed the power athlete program, they could periodize it perfectly based off of rep maxes and, you know, some really short conditioning pieces where like, you know, we put mm-hmm. them on the assault bike and be like, okay, hey, let's do some stuff that we know is not going to fuck them up. Uh, let me get, you know, like I would bring them in for a test and be like, all right, 50 calories for time. Sub three minutes, you haven't been training. You're going to go in one direction. Sub three minutes, you're going in this direction. And I would just put some really interesting tests in place that aren't going to fucking kill anybody. Um, you know, be like, hey, I just need you to work up to a 5RM. This is where you were before. This is where you are now. And then based off of that percentage and drop, and like, let's say you hit 405 for a set of five, and then you come in, you do 315 in a set of five, you're at 80% of what you could do. Instead of being like, well, you have to hit 405 because that's where you were. You know, it doesn't make sense. Then all you do is you just readjust the numbers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you bring people in and realize that they're going to have diminished capacity and that we probably need to do a block of some GPP, just base level of conditioning to get these guys back and ready because you put them in a ballistic environment, they're going to get hurt. Unfortunately, though, um, I, just, I just don't think, uh, well... I think a lot of people are trying to give the impression they know what they're doing, so it's easier just to parrot other people's stuff instead of actually understanding it fundamentally how to do it. And even with the conditioning, so I'll adhere to a conditioning test being a measure as if these kids did the requested work when they were away from school. 
Like, if that's a purpose, okay. But we can find very prudent ways to do that in assault ba- bike, yeah. uh, prowler pushes, but the different pounding and, and grinding for these different tests to just test this kid if they did any training, it can be done so much better. Well, there was. Um, could you do? A, could you do it with like twenty meter repeats as well? You know, like because it's not a like ton a of test. like groundwork. Uh, but I, I think anytime you're getting to a position where people are going to be sprinting, um, if they ha- if they don't have some base level yeah, of conditioning, yeah. they're going to overstride. Like I don't know if you I tagged you guys in that. Uh, that 100-meter sprint where that big kid got out there and was fucking yep. boning out on everybody, and all of a sudden I saw him lift his head, change horizon, he pulled his hamstring and ended up losing. Like, classic example, man. He just uh, just didn't have the ability to stay in a good position long enough. What about, um, like, if you if you had a... A, tr- a true form. Yeah, I think uh, you do some true form stuff. Um, yeah, like a like 30-second reap. I'm just thinking if there's, like, something you could do that's... You can sell a coach on the fact that it's sport specific because they run in their sport they don't ride a bike in their sport could you use like uh you know because what what it what are the conditioning tests 10 400 meter repeats or some shit like that or like Maybe. five half casters yeah, like what, uh, what typically are they doing? two or three 300 yard shuttles is, is a big one that they that they use uh, i like the assault bike and the reason being is uh there's no load um in terms of like like you're not like you know banging them forward and you know, people can run, they can fall. There's other things Like you put them on there and either they go or they don't, you know, I've never seen anybody actually at this point, don't quote me if this is wrong, but like fall off the bike, which I'm sure there is somebody, some video somewhere. Uh, <clears throat> I do recall the story of Moises Salou and I forget if he was on the Cubs or the Astros. It was probably the Astros, but fell off an exercise bike and broke his wrist, or at least that's the story to the outward public, which probably isn't the case. But uh, like um, there was a lady on Lakeway Swap who posted like, is there anybody out there that has a garage gym I can buy? My son is going into his senior year of football and he has no place to train and we don't have weights. And I like I remember seeing that and being like, fuck, like, ah, like, you know, like they're in quarantine. And, and I just remember feeling awful for these people and realizing like, man, like. That's not a, a, a signal flare that I would ever have to shoot up because this fact that like we would always have weights in our garage, like go in there and do stuff like it would just be. But, you know, who knows? Uh, Ma, I mean, obviously the dad didn't post. So who knows if the dad's around or whatnot. But like or even the dad or, you know, because I was thinking like when I was a kid, we didn't have weights. My dad told me only morons lifted weights. So but thank God Zangus had weights and other people had weights. So it's um, I, I just think this whole thing's going to change, man. I think, I think we're going to see the rise. And that was, that was even what Paul Carter called me about. He's like, what do you see happening? Like, what's going to be the pivot? What's going to explode out of this? And I'm like, uh, fucking home gym providers, Sornex, Rogue, those companies are going to fucking become the juggernauts. They're going to become the, the gold's gym. And the only thing I'm going to be mad about is I went into education. I should have gone into producing equipment. And he's like, hmm, you think? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, dude, uh, I, I have a garage gym, um, a small garage gym. I like to refer to it as a power athlete, small garage gym. So this plays and leads into one of our next questions I think is appropriate. I think we can continue this thought process, guys. This is from Matt Miller. Predictions and thoughts for return to play and return to train for the high school athletes. I think as a coach and as a strength coach, you, you have to assume that they've done nothing. I agree. And by nothing, I don't mean like they just sat at home and ate chocolate bonbons, but they didn't have access to anything. So it's not necessarily their fault. And as you know, I'm not big on deferring fault, but like for the most part, I feel for a lot of these kids. Um, I think as a coach, 
coming back and treating the kids and punishing them as somehow they did not find a way to do something is just going to be short-sighted and for dipshits. So I think what you do is you bring it back and you're like, hey, uh, I know you guys are deconditioned. I know you guys aren't as strong as you were. We're going to have to start from ground zero and we're going to have to fight out of the cellar. And I think you start very basic, very simple, um, you know, not like an everyday type of thing. Be like, hey, one day we're going to train. The next day we're going to do some, uh, you know, technique work. And you bring these kids back and you start at like three days a week and then you go to four days a week and then you go to five days a week and you slowly progress them back. But I think you put some milestones in there mm-hmm. and you just kind of build upon it and you're smart with it and realize that like. Because I'm just imagining my high school coaches punishing us as if it, this whole thing was our fault that we somehow, <laughs> like, we somehow were responsible for the coronavirus so that we could get out of training. Like, is how our high school coaches would have treated us and then punished us for it. Which, like, well, what, what do you guys think the most important, like, what's the most important performance trait that you, like, what are, what are other coaches going to misappropriate? Like, John, I'm with you. Like, they're going to grind them, grind them down, make them tough. Like, I'm I'm trying to think of a, an outcome Strength. where the kids show up and you just you get them excited to play. So play some fucking games. Like what do they like doing? And unleash them on that because you just want them to be there, be active, and be you know like is well, there any of that? The typical high school coach is like we got to be in better shape, and it never made sense to me. I'm like fourth quarter guys, shape. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be in fourth quarter shape, but yet like the only way you get in fourth quarter shape is by playing into the fourth quarter. Like it doesn't fucking make any sense. That was like the age-old Mariucci where it's like, the fourth quarter is ours. I'm like, doesn't everybody say that? Let's be different. The third quarter is ours. We're going to dominate in the third and just tank in the fourth. He didn't think that was funny. Um, but what I would do is, you know, we, we found that, uh, you know, I can get you in the best shape of your life in about six weeks. Hands down, if you are strong and training at a high level. The problem is, is it takes me a lifetime to get somebody strong. Where I would be worried is that the kids would not necessarily be deconditioned kind of physically because I feel like we can get that back pretty much where I'm more nervous is is the kid strong and stable are they strong enough to be able to and have the stability and the wherewithal to be able to get under and handle some decently heavy weight and not let their ego fuck them because as a younger kid they're going to think well I squatted 300 pounds before now all of a sudden 225 is heavy well I, I I have to maintain my ego and show face so I'm I got to get back to that which is what I would have done and I would hurt myself and what, are, what, sports are, what sports are coming back text? Do you know what, like what the timing shakes out to be? And I think other di- like districts are kind of doing it differently, but I, I am not sure at the, the high school level right now, my only understanding of the high school level, since it's still in the school and session window. And from my perspective at, from lacrosse coach, they're trying to get just more games in. So they want just one more or two more games to go out. So they're trying to fight for that for the kids as a club ball organization. As a, a, I forget what the formal Texas high school is, UIL? I think that's right. UIL, I don't know about that. So if club sports are fighting for it, UIL definitely has the lobbyist and the backing government-wise. But I know NCAA, you are allowed June 1st to resume football activities at the Big Ten. Mm. So it's going to be by conference that allows this to happen in the Big Ten. I mean, there's a lot of money backing behind there. You got Ohio State. You got Michigan. Well, I I was imagining like Maryland. Let's say my son plays football at UT and we live here. Um, I would be like, hey, you know what you and your buddy should do? You should come over here and train with us. Like I, like I, I would imagine what they're doing, um, and I was kind of imagining like the UT kids. Uh, like 
I guarantee they're finding some way to train, probably not on campus. It's either at a local high school or something. Well, or, there's a lot of professional yeah, athletes, former, that now own facilities. Or have garage gyms. Like, if, if they hit me up, if, like, uh, somebody hit us up and was like, hey, can these kids come and train? I'd be like, yeah, uh, they can probably show up. Um, they're going to have to fucking clean and, you know, like... Um, you know, not be a bunch of assholes or whatnot, but like, I think for the most part, uh, you know, especially, man, I was thinking like, what if you're a senior going into like, this is your senior year and hoping to go into the draft and this is the landscape in which you're going into. I just can't even imagine like, you know, like just to have them wholesale cancel. I mean, that's those kids future. So are we text remind me, is it high school level, collegiate level on the question? Uh, high school for this question. But like, I mean, what, how do you guys feel about, so John, that's a good point with like the ISO work. Do you like what if you so would you start with just like half speed gameplay, really monitor that, monitor rest like conditioning, you monitor the work rest ratios, and then in that rest time, that's when you're like hammering with isometrics. Can you just kind of play that in loop? Yeah, GPP med ball time. So we have our I would stick with the the tempo style. We would probably not do intensity and leave practice as the intensity sprints and reps. But then our conditioning post is is about maintaining technique, not grinding them in there. So work tempos, but then add the GPP med ball. And I love GPP med ball work with a partner. So it provides more intent and then more full. I think it just switches on coachability because I'm thinking about, oh, crap, there's a ball coming at me. Like every other rep I have to think versus, I guess, one-on-one with a ball, you can zone out. Um so it, it adds in that communication factor and all the intangibles that a team would need. Communication, catching, awareness, motivation, one of each other, just in a very general sense. So I would stick with that for one, two, three weeks and then add the intensity sprints. But if we're on campus, we definitely have a weight room or at least some form of a weight room. So then it's still barbell lifts. But I, would you put that before or after practice, Sean? Um, it depends on what practice looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if they're, uh, if they're out there in just shells and moving around, I'd probably put the lift in first. Uh, but then again, um, you know, that also depends on their level of conditioning. If the kids are deconditioned, you probably want to do all the technique and all the practice stuff first and bring them in and have them lift weights after. Cause what are you trying to really focus now? If their conditioning is high and they're in good shape, high level GPP, I probably have them go in there and bang heavy and then go out there and practice. So I know, um, you know, going into training camp, we always lifted weights before. I was, you know, and it didn't affect me in any way unless it was in a real early morning practice. And I, I'm not sure the rules on two-a-days. So back in my day, we had two-a-days, and it would just be shells in the morning, conditioning and roll around, footwork drills and all that into the weight room, and then we'd come back for full pad practice. That night when it was cooler? Yeah. And this is, uh, this of course is like August when I guess helmets started. But in the summer, it would just be you pick the morning or you pick the afternoon and just had to, it was just banging weights. So they took the, they banned football from being a part of our training after my sophomore year. So that changed everything. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Asked and answered. Sounds good. Next one. Thank you. Please come again. Trying to find a good one. Do we want to stick with training? What are we feeling, gentlemen? Uh, let's try something else. Movies. Oh, there's a lot of movie questions. Uh, 
Let us see. I like this one. I wanted to end with it, but it's where I am right now. All right. Well, we're already on. We're, we're at an hour, right? Oh, crap. It flies by. Are we? Is that what it is? Text? Hour, hour and seven. All right. The Power Athlete Movie. Hang on. Tex, before we get into this, let's pause for a message from our sponsors. That little ditty and the sound of my smooth, sensual, yet strong voice means you're about halfway through our chat and you've earned yourself a little brain break brought to you by our friends at Train Heroic. And I know you're like, Callie, your voice is smooth, sensual, yet strong, but what does that have to do with Train Heroic? And the answer is it doesn't. But here's why we at Power Athlete think it's important that you're aware of what Train Heroic is capable of. Their whole jam is to empower you to train without limits. Sound familiar? That means that you can take your little gym business or side hustle and absolutely blow the fucking doors off of it. Their immersive training solutions allow you to train athletes from New York to Nicaragua. And FYI, if you consult a map, those places are really far from each other. Gym space is not an issue. Distance, not an issue. And scheduling, well, we already know that time is an illusion, but it's even more illusiony with Train Heroic. With Train Heroic, you can provide an engaging, flexible, and affordable training experience for your people wherever they are on this flat earth. They provide everything you need to look like a pro, even if you're a complete Luke Summers, and transition into this brave new world of online training. The best part is that they give you a fortnight of free usage. That's two weeks for anyone not born in the 1700s. And when that wraps up, you can keep the party going for the price of a Chipotle burrito. But wait, there's more. A burrito without guac. And you pay only as your business gains grow. The whole crew uses Train Heroic and has done so for years. There's a reason we are taking the time to mention it, and it's not because they promised us a party barge or a suitcase full of collectible beanie babies, uh, baby tigers, or anything else that you deem to be extremely valuable. It's simply because we like them, we use them, and we believe in what they can do for your business and your athletes. Power Athlete has grown by 50% for the last four years because of Train Heroic. And in the words of one of my old coaches, you can't argue with results. Head over to trainheroic.com, click on the free trial button in the upper right-hand corner, and get started today. Now back to the show. Action. Welcome. Action is an appropriate term. Welcome back. We got a great question here from Legacy Strength and Conditioning. The Power Athlete movie. Who's playing John? Who's playing Luke? Who's playing Tex? Sub-question, who plays Callie? Easy. Ronda Rousey, Callie, John, Tony Robbins, Tex, Jack Black, Luke, Chris, Pat, Pratt, but like the shredded good-looking one. The, the shredded good-looking Jack Black? Who plays Heppenstall? <laughs> Jason, uh, Jason Statham? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's that guy from Mission Impossible and Shaun of the Dead? Oh, yeah, no, he's, that would be great. You know what I'm talking about, Luke? Um, no. Uh, yeah, the guy, yeah, from Shaun of the, yeah. Um, I can't remember his name. I don't know. But you're good I'm with Tony Robbins, Is that a sign-off? No, no, uh, Luke's just trying to be a jerk. It's okay. I appreciate it. Simon um, Pegg. Simon, Simon Pegg. Pegg. Yeah, Simon Pegg would be a good one. For who? For me? No, for Heptonstall. 
oh yeah, that's a that'd be a great one for Hepton Stall. For Luke, let's see. Uh, who's that guy from A Star is Born? Bradley Cooper. Uh, actually, I kind of viewed um, more like uh, Chris Hemsworth in the fat suit for Fat Thor. That's oh, more like Luke Summers. The Jack Street, but okay. So that's the Jack Street Luke. Yeah, yeah, that was like <laughs> Jack Street Luke. But yeah, because I mean, big beard, um, you know, round Yeah, race. no, it's, it's accurate. I'll take it. Um, so who, who would play the big guy, though? Because obviously Tony Robbins. I was Robert figuring uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Hmm. Or DJ. Yeah. He's too small. Too small. Uh, the but, Rock. Uh, but this is, uh, this is TV. This is movie. You can make him look like a giant. Well, if you can pick anybody, then why don't we just pick who you actually look like, Steve Buscemi. <laughs> God, that's, that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. I love Steve Buscemi. Can we do like an Eddie Murphy where The Rock plays all of us? You know oh, what I mean? Like in, uh, Nutty um, professor. in the Nutty Professor. What about, um, what about, okay, so again, this it's based off of size in approximate Do you appearance. know how hard it is to find people that are my size? Well, I guess I'm Tom Cruise. Oh, get out of here, I, dude. I, wait a minute. I thought you were going to, uh, I'm surprised you didn't go with uh, Kurt Russell. Like a young Kurt Russell. Well, the Kurt Russell's son is too st- tall and skinny. Uh, okay. He's an actor, though. Text, who's the guy? Who's the guy? The tall guy. He's an actor. Uh, not like Pierce the most handsome Brosman? looking dude. No, not the most handsome looking dude. He's tall. He's like looks like a Bond villain kind of. Uh, Elon Musk. No. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to take Tom Hardy because he's super short and wicked mustache. Hold on. Let me pull this up. Uh, Michael Shannon. Who is that? Michael Shannon? Is is that the guy from Boardwalk Empire? I know you haven't it, seen that. Like the tall dude, Michael Shannon. You know who Michael Shannon is, dude. He's pretty yeah, like he's, he's in Boardwalk Empire. He played Superman's bad guy. In, yeah, and he's he's also like he played a, a taller dude in the Iceman, but he's, he'd have to put on some pounds to be uh, Baba Ganoush. That's a fact. Uh, I was going to go with Vince Vaughn, who's 6'5". Okay, uh, all right. Okay. He's going to have to get jacked. I was thinking Vince Vaughn would be my guy. Does that make the, the Wilson brothers Luke and I? Uh, or the other really good one, I think, would be... Um, hold on, hold on. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Uh, oh, I got one. I got one for the... So we're also going to have, a, in this feature film... We're going to flash forward to the future to older John, oh. Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I guess I got Kurt Russell for old me. Um, uh, oh, you Black know what, John? Uh, Jack, uh, Jack Black is only 5'6", so, I mean, what? Robert Downey Jr., 5'9". Oh, so then we just play down heights. And someone also said I'm a doppelganger for the dude that played Han Solo in the new one. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I Frick don't see that. is his name. So uh, Joe Manganiello, you know who Joe oh, yeah, Manganiello yeah, yeah, yeah. is? Yeah, he's married to um, Sophia Vargas. He's actually yeah, a he's cool six cat. Five. Yeah, no, he's, he's a good looking. He's a good looking dude. Yeah, John. he's he's uh yeah he's a super cool cat man. Yeah, he's six five. I didn't know he was that tall. Oh, Jeff Goldblum also six four. Yeah, only he just looks taller, or maybe everyone else around him is short. 
You know, and Jason uh, Momoa, Jay Welly, would you take Jason Momoa? Yeah, I, I, I love him. I think he's amazing. Um, All right, yeah, so we got Jason. Uh, J- uh, jo- Joseph Mangelin, was it Mangiello? Um, honestly, I never have seen anything he's ever been in, but I do know that he's married to Sophia Vargas or Varga, and I, he was on an infomercial. That's how I know who that he's guy in, is. He's in Magic Mike. He's in Rampage. He's in Spider Man. Um, oh, and okay. He's also big in um, in True Blood. He was a, like a, a, char- a main character in True Blood. What's what's is True Blood like a vampire? Was that a C- CW show? Yeah, Showtime. HBO. Oh, that's probably or, what I haven't or seen. HBO. It. Yeah, vampire deal. Okay, I probably need to watch that. It's got vampires. Oh, Luke, I got you. Next, on. I'm, I'm saying Elijah Wood. You're, is going to be you. No, I'm taking new Han Solo actor. I no, still haven't figured out his name. Dude, you know who I've got? Shia LaBeouf. Would you yeah. take Shia LaBeouf? No. Now or 2004? Now. Shia LaBeouf is the man. For any, everyone out there, watch Shia LaBeouf Hot Ones. Then go watch Shia LaBeouf on um, Jimmy Kimmel Live talking about being arrested. Go watch him on YouTube. It's epic. Uh, he's, uh, he's got some emotional issues. He's an actor. He's acting as you. You don't have to take on his identity. Yeah, I know. But he just, uh, you know, he tends to play kind of unstable characters, like uh, the whole Transformers Fine, I'll thing. take Shia LaBeouf. Bring it. I understand what you're saying. I'm thinking Luke is more, who's the guy from Blade and True Detective Season 3? Oh, Dorf. Stephen Dorf. Yeah, you're a Dorf. <laughs> I'd take Stephen Dorf, that guy. He's a great, he's a badass. I'll take Stephen Dorf. I'll land on that. Uh, man, what if, are we landing on if, for John? Uh, if if I'm you know like I'll, I'll tell you this uh, if if I could be as in good a shape as Dolph Lundgren is at his age, that dude is absolutely fucking uh, I love him like his uh, he, yeah love that dude. Yeah. All right, so do we want to just take Dolph Lundgren at like forty year old Dolph Lundgren as John? Dude, Momo, uh, Jason Momoa is only forty. God, I thought he was older than that. Text, who do you want? And it could be any stage of their in, in their career. I'm taking the Han Solo guy. Fuck is his name? You're taking his name is Alden, Alden I can't and Rich. Yeah. Earnright. You're taking the him. He's got great bouts. Callie, I guess, is on Ronda Rousey. Uh, I was kind of going for uh, a little Michael J. Fox for you. Ooh. Michael J. Fox, is, 1986? Yeah. Oh. I think this, honestly, dude, I think this question needs some thought. Like, okay, if we, we'll continue we, this next yeah, podcast. Like, or maybe we do it as a, a maybe we do this. Let's just send it, it out to the world. Ooh, that's not a bad idea. Who do you think we should be? And then I think we do it as a Friday brew. And then we come prepared with like the top like five top for each five. other, not for ourselves. Or yeah, no, yeah, yeah for for, yeah. for it's each be other. For each other. No, it's four. It's four, and two are flattering, and two are burns. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a great idea. Okay, so we'll put a pin in this question. If you're an audience person, go ahead and just let us know. Uh, email Cali at, at, at com. <laughs> Okay, John, this is going to be a tough one. Luke, we're going to need you on this one. All right, this is from Ryan Ryan Schaefer, number nine. 
How does one go about instilling a sense of urgency in a 16-year-old high school athlete that just does not get it yet? Uh, there was an analogy. I remember my offensive line coach in college used to use, like, the lights haven't come on. And he'd be like, yeah, so he's like, uh, for all uh, football players, you know, you might be a pretty good high school football player and you come to college and there's school in this. But he's like, you can really tell when the player, like when a kid's light turns on, that like all of a sudden he sees, you know, this uh, opportunity and he understands kind of where he fits into this thing. And he said up until that point, uh, most of you guys, it's like you're just fucking bumping around in the dark. And he's like, some people bump around in the dark for five years get their scholarship, get a degree, and get the fuck out of here. And he goes, um, you know, other guys, the, the light turns on the minute they get here. Other people, it takes a couple years. And he thought it took uh, offensive linemen at least two, two years for the lights to turn on. Um, and he used to always make this joke. He's like, yeah, you know, he's like, I'm hoping by the time, you know, the lights turn on, you got a couple years, and by the time you're a senior, you're like a real creature. I'm like, what do you mean like a creature? He's like somebody that can like lift up like one side of the, of the uh of Memorial Stadium, you know, see what's underneath there. And I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> but this is Cable. And, uh, yeah, Tom Cable. Um, but I remember that comment of, like, the lights didn't turn on. And what's really interesting is I reflect back, like, I felt like the lights were on for me in high school. And then all of a sudden I got to college, and there's, like, you're living on your own. You're deciding what you eat. You know, you have a schedule to follow. You're in the dorms. You're trying to balance this, like, school life, social life, and being an athlete. And I think it's, uh, it's really overwhelming because uh, you're just not used to it. You're like, you know, I go from, you know, go to high school where you get up, you get, you know, you go to school, you come back and you're kind of in this situation. And now all of a sudden they're, ex they're pushing out the boundaries and they're expecting you to do so, so much more. And you're competing against a bunch of kids who don't play football. So all they do is go to school all day and they have a social life. And you're trying to have all of those plus play at a high level. And I think what it is, is you're trying to prioritize everything equally. You're trying to do good in school because you got to stay there. You're trying to have a social life because, you know, there's chicks around and parties and you want to, like, you know, go experience that stuff, have the college experience. And people always tell you, like, when you go to college, you got to have the, the college experience. So you're trying to have a college experience and you're trying to play football. And I think what happens is, is you start kind of like you kind of keep everything, uh, you know, equal. And then I think the light comes on when you realize that, like, you can pick your battles like you can go out you know on occasion you can go here you can do some stuff socially you, you know you have to go to class but that ends at noon and then you have like the focus and I really think that light coming on has to do when you realize that why you were there and your priority is actually athletics and so for me I looked at it like almost like wearing like a different hat like I would put on my hat and I would go to school and from like 8 a.m. to noon I was a student and the minute that I like walked up the hill which I would walk up uh um, uh, Bancroft and I would walk up from like where my school where, where classes were up to Memorial Stadium I, like that long kind of slow walk up there I'd grab my lunch and like walk halfway eat my lunch and walk and I would kind of like use that time to like change my hat and like, once I got there it was all football until 8 o'clock at night and then I would go home eat dinner do some studying go to bed wake up early whatever needed to do and I think uh, the light comes on when all of a sudden you realize like this is why I'm here this is what I'm doing and this is my main focus. And I think for a lot of guys, the reason the light never comes on is that it never becomes their primary focus or it becomes too much of their primary focus and they don't have the success. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and throw in that maybe they just don't like it. Right. And that's kind of where my head's at is number one, who who's the 16 year old? 
And um, I'm thinking, first off, mixture, let's think Julie Slowiak's episode. If there's not a fire or passion or a sense of belonging, it's because the environment isn't there for them to feel it that way. And it may be very well, they don't want to be an athlete. And dad wants me to be an athlete, but I don't want to be an athlete. I want to play cello, right? But odds are for kids, I'm in, like, again, I'm a, saying this as the father of a nine-month-old. So, John, you let me know and validate if, if you think I'm on point here. But, like, um, kids are passionate about something. Like, there's something out there that they just want to sink their teeth into for some period of time. And then maybe they don't want to anymore. And then they want to sink it into something else. Like, and then, yeah, maybe it is sports and maybe the lights will come on and that'll be that, that finality of like a, an older adolescent. That's where they want to, that's what they need to do, but maybe they don't. And I guess if, if you're trying to shift that trajectory and it is your own kid, odds are um, you have done a body of work leading up until this point that will not allow you to do it unintentionally, right? You, they're just not going to fucking listen to you at 16 years old. So you need a George Zangus. You need somebody else. Um, get a role model, you know, introduce them to a role model that they ultimately want to aspire to that you feel has the values that they, that you want your child to have, right? Whether it's hard work, discipline, lifting weights, playing sports, introduce them to try to find a role model that they want to try to be. Because unfortunately at 16, like you don't give a fuck what your parents think, right? Like it's Man. sad. I if wish I, I did. If I hadn't have met, um, so I was a you know young you know fourteen year old kid freshman in high school. All of a sudden, our high school closes, and we go into like one big high school, and uh, that's when I met uh, Tasso Papadakis. So Tasso was a year older than me, and I remember seeing this dude when we went out to football, and he literally looked like something like out of like the Iliad of the Odyssey. He was a Greek dude. He was fucking jacked. He was the strongest kid. Uh, like, I've never met anybody under the age of 16 anywhere near as strong as him. I watched him squat 315 for 10. No, sorry, it was 405 for 10. And then I watched him bench 315 for a set of 10 at like 16, 15, 16 years old. I knew he was, you know, he was 16 because he could drive. I was like 15. And I remember seeing this dude. He had traps. He was fucking jacked. Like, he was, he, he was probably 215, 6, 511, like 215 at like 15, 16 years old. And uh, I remember seeing him and being like, holy shit, I didn't even know dude's like, legs could be that big. And I remember looking at him and being like, man, I want to be big and strong. Like that was like, uh, and I already knew I wanted to be big and strong. And I was like, shit, if I could like look anything like this dude, I mean, he looks big and strong. And he ended up coming over and like making friends and being like, we're going to be training partners. And I was like, okay. And we went to the gym and trained. And like, uh, like I, when um, we went back to the Cal game, I was walking by one of the offices and I spotted some people in there. And for a second, I thought it was his dad sitting in there, John Papadakis. And, um, and then I, I like went back and I was like, fuck, is that John Papadakis? And I looked in there and it was his little brother, Petros, who I grew up with. And dude, I'd known, you know, shit, he was like the little brother. He was a year younger than me. And all of a sudden I go back and I like open the door and I'm like, pet. And uh, he sees me and I haven't seen him in fucking years. Um, and he comes over and like, you know, uh, like he's, uh, he's big, he's got a radio show in LA and he's an announcer, but it was pretty interesting. Like here's this kid from my childhood. And I, I told him, I'm like, if I hadn't have met your brother and your brother hadn't taken me under his wing, I wouldn't be standing here talking to you. I wouldn't have gone to Cal. I wouldn't have gone. I mean, I just know, like I, I would have been, I wouldn't have had the direction. I wouldn't have had that like individual to follow, to help me get on that path. And, uh, that was super impactful for me. So like, you know, while my parents or my dad's like, Oh, only idiots lift weights. And like, it didn't really click. Like here was this kid who was this, um, you know, like, uh, 
really good representation of like who I wanted to be and who I, you know, and this is how I physically wanted to be seen. And that was important for me. And like, um, but yeah, that kind of role model, uh, whether it can be an up, uh, older brother or friend or whatever it looks like that becomes very, very important. And I always think like, man, if I hadn't met that dude or that guy hadn't like, if he had just been an asshole to me and hadn't been like, Hey man, like I remember he said to me, he's like, you got a big frame, dude. He's like, you could be a big ass dude. Like we should be training partners. And I'm like looking around, I'm like, is this guy talking to me? Okay. And he used to drive to my house, pick me up and we'd go to the, we'd go lift weights. We'd go eat. Like we he just did everything together. We were inseparable. And, um, that really helped kind of mold me in such a way. And, um, man, I'm forever thankful that that person showed up in my life at the right time. And John, uh, John, you know what? Like, could you imagine maybe even if you're like, I don't know if like your mom came up to you and like, John, you're a big guy. You should start lifting weights. You'd be like, okay, mom, whatever. You know, or like, I just imagine that's how I would be. But then this dude says the exact same thing to you, different time, different place, and different manner from a different perspective. And it becomes like such a pivotal thing. And the point of that, that statement is that if um, our guy, Ryan, if Ryan's talking about his kid, like, man, he, I, it's possible that you just, you can't do it, but yeah, somebody else somebody could. Around. Yeah, like find a gym or find somebody or, or something. But I mean, like I was laughing, uh, um, so when we went to school, like I, I went for, to something at Jamie's school into her class and like all these little boys were like, like staring at me. And, uh, and so the other day, Jamie made a comment that like all the, uh, like, like the little boys, when they saw you were like freaking out, they were like, that's your dad. And they couldn't believe one that somebody was that big, but two, they were like, you know, like, what did your dad, like, why is he so big? And Jamie's like, well, he played in the NFL. Like they were like, what? Your dad was in the NFL for what teams? And she was like this. And like, I guess they went over the computers and they Googled it. And they were like, like these kids, like it blew their fucking minds. And Jamie was like, why, why is that a big deal? You know, like, and the, you know, for these little boys who like, you know, like they're, uh, they like love the rock and John Cena and this and my mom or, or, and, uh, Jamie's like, oh yeah, no, my dad's met those guys. He knows them. Uh, you know, like it, it's just, it's pretty funny. Like, for her, it's just... Did she mention the podcast to these second graders? <laughs> no, but, uh, but like, it's, it's pretty funny. She just, you know, Jamie's sense of humor. She's like, I don't know why they made such a big deal about it. And I tried to tell her, I was like, I know you're eight, but it's kind of a big deal. Like, not a lot of people get a chance to do this. And, um, you know, it was a lot of fun and, you know, this, and we kind of go through it. And uh, she's like, well, I wish I was around when you were playing. I would have wanted to see it. And uh, my wife's like, yeah, me too. And I'm like, oh, that's true. She's like, I got this life. I didn't get that life. I'm like, oh, well, it sucks to be you. And like uh, eight to ten, and eight to ten years old, like that is also where you start to fantasize. Like when you're playing backyard sports, or at least when I was, like you're 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 not you're taking on the persona of like Thurman Thomas or Emmett Smith, right? Like you 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 just fantasize about being in that whatever league you're playing, whatever game you're playing, right? So. Uh, when I was in junior high school, uh, Art Shell, who played left tackle for the Raiders and was head coach for the Raiders, uh, they lived. Um, I went to school with the, with his sons, and uh, Art Shell was my basketball coach when huh. I was like in elementary school, like six, like fifth or sixth grade. And so he fucking showed up, and he was like the, the biggest dude I'd ever seen in my life. And I remember when I was a fresh, I was I think I was a sophomore in high school. And, uh, you know, obviously he was head coach of the Raiders and like Fridays, like he didn't really get a chance to go to the games because they were playing, but we had like a late game and he showed up to the game with like Bob Golick and some of like the Raiders. 
And uh, I was super excited. Like, I was like, dude, Mr. Shell's here. And he brought these other big dudes. And we had been to the games. And so I knew him. And all these dudes showed up. And uh, they were all sitting in the stands. Uh, and, like, I was like, I'm going to fucking, I'm just going to kill everybody. I'm going to truck everybody. So, like, I literally, like, come off the ball, lift this dude clean off of the ground. And I'm, like, running with him and just starting to see, like, if I can get as many pancakes as I can. And uh, after the game, when I saw those dudes, uh, Art Schill comes over to me and he's like, man, you were killing those dudes. He's like, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. And I was like, I was so excited that like here, this like Hall of Fame player had said this to me. And then it was funny because as I, um, I, Art's son, Chris, tended to be kind of wayward. And we did a lot of stupid shit that one involved uh, at like 15 years old, borrowing his dad's Mercedes and cruising it around the neighborhood. And so... <laughs> We ended up getting in trouble for it. And I remember Art Shell called me on the phone and was like, hey, John, this is Mr. Shell. I'm like, hey, Mr. Shell. And he's like, have you and Chris been driving my Mercedes around when I'm not around? And I was like, yes. Like, I wasn't going to lie to the dude. He was fucking huge. He was going to kill me. And, like, I guess Chris had been lying to him the whole time and swearing up and down. And he knew I wasn't going to lie to him. And so, like, Chris got fucking trouble. And I think we our friendship never recovered from that. But, uh funny story like years later i'm at the combine i see art he wasn't all that friendly to me then so he must have still been pissed but uh you know like i just thought that was a a really cool moment and like you know and i always go back to like what the rock you know talked about that i guess like he said like anytime you get a chance to interact with somebody who looks up to you like if you paint things in the right light like that person will be forever inspired if you're just a fucking asshole to them, like instantly it, it, ta- it curtails them off. And I, I think about that stuff a lot, especially with like interactions. And even as an NFL player, like, you know, like you've, you've talked to 400 people and you're ready to go home. You're tired and it's like the 401st and you're like, yo, man, I got to get rolling. And that guy's, that guy's a fucking asshole. They don't see the other 400 people you've talked to. And I think like that's an interesting thing because people only know that one moment opposed from you know, where the rock will stand there and talk to every single person, shake their hand, take pictures. Like it doesn't matter if it takes one hour or 20 hours. He's like every person I have the chance to influence. And like, uh, like that's just such an amazing thing. And I think why, even though, um, I don't necessarily like the movies he's been in. Uh, I think he will forever be uh, the crowd favorite. And I think people love that dude. And like the reason that if he ran for president, I'd probably vote for him is because of like how genuine he is. Like, uh, you know, his Titan games is coming back, uh, which is pretty awesome to watch. Um, And I just think like, you know, we'll buy his tequila, even though it's not great, but still drink it (laughs) because it's the rocks. And we support the dude because I think he is not only he's a, he's a big dude. He's in phenomenal shape. Like, fuck, he's in good shape. Uh, but he's got a good sense of humor. He's like, he's theatrical. He's funny. He's got like care, uh, charisma. He dresses really well and um, just looks like the type of dude that would be a fun motherfucker to hang out with. Like if the rock calls you and he's like, Hey, we're going out for dinner tonight. Is anybody like, no, like, are we going to have drinks? Are we going to eat food and fucking laugh? hundred percent. Like everybody's in like, he would be, uh, you know, people are like, if you could invite anybody to the dinner, who would it be? I'm like the rock. He looks like he would show up ready to party and have a great time. Like whatever we were eating, he's in. And tell a great story associated with it. And I think that's like that good nature of um, why people connect that authenticity, which is, you know, kind of like we discussed this morning. Like you don't have to go and create the ethos, pathos, pathos and logos with him. Like, you know, this big, strong dude shows up. He has this whole history, great story, you know, super impassioned and a genuine dude. And I think people are attached to that. On the pathos, ethos and logos note, 
I feel that maybe it took him a while. So his story is very interesting, and maybe it can be used as a reference, Ryan, for your question, just the the down in the dumps, the under things that he had to overcome with his family to then get to this position. Um, he, he, but, had a, he had a pretty good deal, not to cut you off, but he, uh, he had a pretty good deal where he parked outside. He was in like this, like, you know, big, I don't know, limo navigator truck that he had in Hawaii. He was like doing, I think it was something over there. And I remember I saw a clip of it, but it was him in the car. He got up early. I guess he was there with his wife. They got married, had this big ceremony, whole deal. And he was like, went out, got out early, was driving in the car and stopped at the uh, apartment building that his family and him got um, evicted from when he was a kid. So I guess they like, you know, super poor, the whole deal. They got evicted out of this place and it was the last place they lived in Hawaii before they left. And so he was parked outside like, that's where I live. That's where I got evicted. This is where it all started and had this like pretty amazing, like that's, that's the thing with uh, social media. Like he's having this like really like reflective, amazing moment, like about his life. And he's sharing it with like millions of people that he doesn't know. And like that level of honesty, I don't think I could do it. Like, I don't think I could be that vulnerable and that like share that type of deal. Like I'm too selfish with that stuff. And like this dude is just shares this moment. Like that's where we got evicted. Like this is where it all started. This is where, you know, this began. And he's like, I sit out here and I realize how blessed I am. And looking at this makes me remember it. And you know, the joy of buying my dad a new truck and this, and he goes in the whole thing and it's pretty, it's, um, it's inspiring. And that's, that's what I'm getting to is he's using it as an opportunity to inspire and create urgency of people that may be complaining or down or not understand or realize what they do have. So, Ryan, we don't know this kid. We don't know the situation, if he is related to you or if you're just coaching, not just, if you are coaching him, but you have the the opportunity to instill urgency. My easiest recommendation, an actionable step right now would just be ask him to teach you something. So if it is in line with the sport, if you're coaching him, have him teach you a skill or ask him about video games or books or something. Just have him teach you. So this goes to then opportunity to find out what he does have a spark or a passion or just anything. What he's interested in, as Luke said well, earlier. The, the, the other one, too, is you have to find what inspires people. And I was thinking about this. Uh, my nephew so when Tony got inducted into the Hall of Fame, I got invited, and I invited my brother and my nephew, who's 12, and I wanted my nephew to come, because one, I wanted him to go to Canton and go see the NFL Hall of Fame, but I also wanted him to be there and see and hear the speeches. But what I really wanted him to do is I really wanted him to see, like, the, the fraternity of it, because he had been to games, and I remember, you know, two years old uh, at, the, you know, at the Chargers game and him going to games, and now he's a huge Chiefs fan. But it was pretty amazing. He was standing there. When all of a sudden a bunch of my teammates walked out of the hall of like we all walked up at like we were walking in, they were all walking out. And like instantly I see like Jason Dunn and Trent Green and all of these guys and like the brotherhood. And like all of a sudden I haven't seen those guys in years, but like it's as if the friendship never ended. Like like these were guys that you spend every moment with. And like I what I wanted him to be inspired by is like all the glitz and the glamour and the NFL polish and this and this, but like really it comes down to like the relationships. And I asked him, we went to dinner. I'm like, what do you think about all this? And he's like, man, it's like, it, it's pretty overwhelming, but he's like, it seems like there's like a secret fraternity, like, like a secret club that all you guys are in that like you guys all know about. And it's like a weird kind of interesting respect and peace. And I'm like, yeah, cause the only way you get in is by being a player and they respect you. It's cause the, it's not sold. It's not given it's earned. 
And, I was, and then, you know, use it as a teaching moment. And I was like, you think this is something you could do or something you'd want to do? And he's like, uh, I would love to. How do I do it? And I'm like, well, there's a blueprint. You know, like we, we know how to make it happen. You just have to be able to apply it. And I think my brother went home and part of the deal with like taking him to the gym and getting weights in, sh- in shape or uh, putting weights in the garage is to like, you know, hey, this is what we do. This is who we are. And this is the culture we, we subscribe to. One of strength, like I talk to the girls all the time about. So, um, you know, my brother Ed, who was, you know, with me in every one of those battles and, uh, you know, every one of those fist fights that I ever got in, like, shit, he was there and, you know, to see that whole thing. And his biggest regret, though, he's like, man, I can't believe that's not you up there. And I'm like, fuck, man. Like, I, I, I wish I got to be Tony Gonzalez. I wish I got to play, or, or not Tony, but uh, played 17 years and play at that. But, you know, that wasn't the card for me. I only got to do it for 10. Yeah, but the fraternity knows. And that, that means a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, to jump in, Tex, because like as you find out, and John, like as you find out what inspires them or what interests them, you know, it's there's no doubt that part of like lighting the fire. I think maybe as a coach or even as a dad, you want to see that hard work. And I can't. I'm kind of circling back to Angela Duckworth as well as potential framework to uh, start to get that grit mindset or grit mentality. And we're at, you know whatever lane that's in, if you really want to see the the young man prosper he's gonna have to put in the hard work right like and that's that's probably what you would celebrate more so than what the activity is like if it is cello or maybe it is hockey or football or whatever right but like you want to see that deliberate approach to like trying to master their craft and walk away knowing they've done the best that they can right yeah i'm just in line with that teach them that process so i feel like Scott Nick's really gotten into rucking because this is all, not all, but an activity that he has. So I remember the go ruck. I, I participated in that and, and we did a DC scavenger hunt as a team. So I transitioned coaches. So we had a new coach come in that actually went to my university. So we knew the area well and forced us into like this scavenger hunt, giving us clues, split the team up, and we had to just trek across town and and figure it out. So if there's something within it that either you do with this kid or lead his pack of friends where it's this journey, this process that is within a two, three, four hour period that you can keep their attention to teach them a lesson. And also remember in Remember the Titans when they had to run to Gettysburg and this opportunity that the Coach Boone the fictional Coach Boone had to teach these guys to come together in this moment. Man, what a great movie. Mm-hmm. Every, every time I've seen uh, Remember the Titans, like the whole kind of deal where they bring in the coach and then um, who's the who's the assistant defensive coordinator? He is from Armageddon. Uh, uh, Paxton, maybe? No, Bill Paxton. It's not Bill Paxton. I can't remember his name. But goddamn, he does such a great job of supporting his coach and they're, you know, they're going to fire him, bring him in, and he goes over and gets that, uh, uh, you know, the kid the running back on the team. Like, uh, gets him to play, you know, DB like Petey. Yeah, Petey. Every time I see that movie, man, I'm like, it. It forever is like the type of team that you were like, man, this would have been a great team to play on. You know, to have that type of social division. Take, Will Patton. Will Patton. Yeah, no, incredible. Ryan, yeah. So DM DM us more if you need more ideas. But the fact that you see this kid needs more, I think it's a great representation that he does 
and you are, are going to give it to him because he may not be receiving it at home or from other coaches, teachers. We don't know the situation, but if you can see it and sense it, then it's real. Where are we at? I, I think it's Buck time 40. for movie nonsense. All right. So we, weird. We got a lot of pool questions. I think it's because John and I were backs to a pool. But this is going to lead us into movie questions because Jay-Z has two questions. One, who wins in a water sprint in a pool between all three of us? You mean like a swimming sprint? I think so. Like a well, water I've, sprint. I've, I challenged John to a 25-meter freestyle. He won. Well, Luke's beat me. So I guess John wins. All right, there you go, Justin. Okay, next. You get a Wait lead. Wait a minute, hang on. John's off a of so- shoulder surgery. I think there's blood in the water. Uh, I'd probably rip it in pieces just to win. You gave me one <laughs> chance. What's your? Can you get streamlined position? Uh, no, I'm just kicked so fucking hard. That's what I'm saying. Is he literally <laughs> jumps off the blocks, Luke? And does the longest streamlined swim. You know, they like come <laughs> off the blocks and don't come up for air. And that determines because yeah. you can tr- travel faster underwater. Yeah. That's John just goes full 50 Dude, I, without I just, taking a breath. I just kick as hard as I can. I, uh, anything that I would ever have to like make up for on the shoulder, I just kick. Oh, so you know, like, I teach my kids like when they swim, like I want to like I want to think about the thunder claps. Like, uh, yeah. kick the, like kick a the dolphin, water as hard as you ugh, can. Dolphin, uh, my spine just doesn't work. I, I like heard, that dolphin uh, kick. Raphael Calden actually asked me <laughs> if he's like, hey, I'm, I'm going to ask you an honest question. Do you think Chris is trying to, to drown or trying to show us how poor, <laughs> like, like trying to like a rope and dope me and how poor a swimmer is? I'm like, I think he's just that bad a swimmer. He's like, nobody could be that bad. Oh, yeah. That my my first day is something wear, for the record books. Did you have to wear one of his weird Speedos? Uh, yeah, there was a day. But dude, my first first ever day with Raf, it was an open water swim and nearly died. That would have been great. Um Yeah. He had Probably, me singing the Star Spangled Banner he, while swimming in the open <laughs> ocean. He's like, Hey, we're gonna do a three mile open water swim. Okay, that's part one of the question. Part two, you get one leading lady to appear in the remake of Speed. You're Keanu. Who do you take? as the leading lady. Man, I wish we had got time to prep for this. No, fast thinking. Okay, so I'm not committing to this. I've been thinking I, about first, it all day. My first one is the, the uh, Jason Statham's sister in uh, Hobbs and Shaw. What is her name? I'll stick into that, but is, that's what's coming to mind. Is it Natasha or Natalia or something? Any what? actress, any time? Oh, dude, actress? I thought you would have gone with uh, Megan Fox. That's, that's where a, I was getting to, one, John. John. Yeah, I, I know she's like your one. Well, Megan Fox Transformers is a no-brainer. That is my leading lady in life. She's hot I mean, again. except my wife. Uh, your wife burned me on the Instagram comments, so we're Shocker. not, not going to bring it up here. Perpetual ball buster. Um, uh, but no, I, I'm st- if we can go any any time, any actress, I'm picking Megan Fox. As the, under that court category, Transformers, which I think is like what? What, what year was that again? Text 2001 or something like that? Mm, mm, no. Let me hold on. Two, 
2007, Megan Fox. 2007, Megan Fox. I'm going Gina Carano. Easy. But I get to save her this time. That is, like, I just don't agree with that. What, Gina driving a bus? Ooh, okay. I might have, I might go Margot Robbie. No, Gal Gadot. I'm a Gal Gadot fan. I, I got a sleeper. So, you you were called The Thing with Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. Well, they... Wait, spin re- zone? What about just Sandra Bullock? Uh, that, I did think about that. I'll, she's... She's still up there. Um, I'll tell you the the one uh, the girl that always like uh, and and I know this is a terrible movie. Did you guys watch Tron Legacy? No. Uh, Olivia Wilde. Oh yeah, That's good, I like Olivia Wilde. Oh man, dude, she uh, in that movie like uh, I you know I, I really can't think of anything else that she's been in, but like. Unbelievable. I know she was an alpha dog, like because I just looked her up. But um, dude, Olivia Wilde, like absolute, like some something else. Yeah, that's a and, good one. And then the other one too, which uh, uh, like she actually looks like uh, um, like she'd probably be a pretty fun person to 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 hang out with, just based off of like her in um, uh, who's uh, who played Captain America. Chris Evans. Yeah, Chris Evans is a uh, Scarlett Johansson. Like, I, I big Scarlett fan. Great I, choices. I don't know if there's a movie that I can't necessarily just like drop her into where you'd be like, oh, like that's an upgrade. She's a great actress. Yeah, no, I, I know, but like, think about a movie. You're like, oh yeah, like, what if you just like took this person out and dropped in her? Like, she feels it feels like every movie she could probably be an up uh, an upgrade. So I'm going sleeper. If you won't buy Gina Carano, this woman's name Mary Elizabeth Winstead. So she's been in a, a shit ton of movies. She played John McClane's daughter in Die Hard 4. And she was in Cloverfield 2. She was in the new Birds of Prey movie with Roby. And she was in the... It, not, it wasn't a remake. It was a sequel to The Thing as the leading lady. Never seen any of these movies. Don't even know who I know is. who you're talking about. It's an acceptable choice, Tex. But like, she would fit in a crowd, Luke, and she's a brunette. She is right... She's just my speed. Ladies, do you fit into a crowd? <laughs> Are you totally average? Well, I've got something for you. <laughs> your counterpart. Yeah, your Keanu to speed. And if they don't get that reference, hey. Okay, our next movie question. This is, should be a quick one. Nick Cage or Keanu. In a battle of cinematic supremacy, who wins? Wait, say that Keanu's again. legitimately dominated. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just, just repeat it again for me. Nick Cage or oh, Keanu. Yeah, Keanu? Yeah, unquestioned. Does yeah. Nick Cage, I'm just throwing it out there to stir up a little, you know, stir the pot. Does Nick Cage have an early era that is commendable? Obviously, he's fucking harpooned this, his, any sort of, stardom he has and he's just he's, he's the tiger did you guys thing. see the the uh what was the one like the witch hunter no no what was it called um or was witch hunter with a uh, vin diesel but he had like some movie where he was like a warlock and he had an apprentice it was probably one of the worst movies i've ever seen and he like i always liked him in uh in uh welcome to the rock to the rock but like oh he peaked 
But in that same peak time, Keanu was still kicking ass. So Keanu was well, last. Keanu ever not kicked ass? Like, even when he did the boathouse, isn't it called the boathouse? The one where like they it was a drama. I don't uh, know. There it was a love movie. But you got so you got like here's the thing, like obviously Face Off is fantastic. Would we agree? Yeah. On air. I mean, you can kind of make a case for National Treasure, but like, House. Sorry. National Treasure, the first viewing was like, oh, okay, this is fun. Like, it's not really rewatchable. Doesn't age well. You got The Rock. Like, they're... are you thinking Wicker Man, John? No, it's called The Lake House. And it was a but terrible movie. you're talking movie. about Warlock. Oh, Season of the Witch. Uh, with uh, Nick Cage? Mm-hmm. Lord yeah. of War was actually pretty good. Uh, Warlock. Yeah, it was, it was really bad. Eight millimeter. It was called it was like The a- Sorcerer's Apprentice. Like that, that, that was a movie that I, I saw and I realized that Nick Cage is just like, he's the Steven Seagal of the tactical world. Oh, he was in but, Kick-Ass. Uh, Kick-Ass mean, was good. He was, was in, Nick Cage was in Kick-Ass? Yeah, he was the, the, the father of the little girl that was like the little ninja warrior. No. Yeah. Big his nick his name was Big Daddy the character Big Daddy he that was Nick Cage huh mm-hmm. and he he was fine but that movie was like not because of him you know he was fine yeah and right. like then like he comes out with Bangkok Dangerous right like come on well dude he was um, in so he was in Fast Times he was in Valley Girl Rumblefish I mean like the guy had an unbelievable uh, Raising Arizona I mean dude he had uh, like some amazing honeymoon in Vegas. Um, he did, uh, what else? Uh, Kiss of Death. He did The Rock, Con Air, Face Off. And then he did that City of Angels movie, which I always dug. Remember where he's like the fallen yeah. angel? Yeah. Uh, Snake Eyes is where things got a little dicey. And then oh, he did, I do like Snake Eyes, And then he did though. 8mm, which was something fucking else. Then his, he peaked with Gone in 60 Seconds. And then after that, uh, he, which another movie I really dug was Wind Talkers. And then National Treasure, Lord of War, which was perfect. You know what? This sounds better than, I guess I'm jaded. Ghost Rider. Based off the last 10 years. Right. Then he did Ghost Rider. And then he did, after National Treasure Book of Secrets, I feel like that's where things went off the rails. Because then it was Bangkok Dangerous. He did uh, he did Kick-Ass, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, Season of a Witch. And then he just started doing these <gasps> fucking This is why you pay your taxes, movies. kids. Like, but he was buying crazy shit. Like, didn't he buy, like... A oh, dinosaur, yeah, and like some other weird stuff, and then he just started doing these crazy ass movies. Yeah, and I think you just got to pick Keanu because his peak was so much higher, and it, it it ages so much better. You can rewatch a lot of that shit. But like, uh, I feel like Keanu Reeves, uh, especially in the like the John Wick stuff, like, and I I think I could be wrong on this, but I think there were a ton of actors that passed on that. Ton of actors passed on the Matrix. Ton of actors passed on. John, John Wick. Wick. Uh, I know Will Smith passed on Snake Eyes, so that could have been. Well, Will Smith also p- passed on Matrix. The Matrix. Idiot. Yeah, and he. I, but I, if you hear him tell the story, how they pitched it to him was pretty awful. No, he had a formula for for movies, and I heard this in an interview. Basically, as he was coming off the French pr- fresh, fresh Prince of Bel Air, him and his agent identified 
it's either five or ten characteristics of the top grossing movies during uh, from the last ten years leading up to the end of Fresh Prince, and included aliens, um, like buddy movies, basically the plot of Men in Black. So it ticked all the boxes. He chose Wild Wild West, oh. like science fiction over The Matrix. Oh, so did like, you, did you, you see got Wild Wild West? You also got I to did. do the soundtrack today. Wild Wild West was awful. I disagree. Yeah, it was awful. But it fit I, into his formula. Independence Day. So like that science, great. he it had to be science fiction. It had to be yeah, but all those were blockbusters. Matrix, it would have ticked the Matrix. Blockbusters. Maybe because the, uh, uh, who, uh, who did the, uh, the brothers that did the Matrix? Um, not the Ring brothers, but. Um, Was it the Coens? No. <sighs> Shit, it's. Um, look it up. Enhance. Enhance. Wachowski. Yeah, Wachowski. Wachowski. Yeah, Wachowski brothers. Like I think they were just relatively unknown, uh, or they they had done something else, but it was it was kind of uh, off. It, it, it wasn't within that same genre. Anywho, I think we can we can put it. We tried, Nick. Nailing that coffee. Okay, next question: Who is the best good slash bad guy over their careers? Best example that this person can think of, Ben Stiller. Amazing bad guy in Heavyweights, Dodgeball, and Happy Gilmore. Amazing good guy in Zoolander, Meet the Parents, and There's Something About Mary. Does anyone else compete? Man. My, my fast thinking is Walter White, that actor, because he plays Malcolm in the Middle's dad. So he's like this quirky good guy dad. And then he switches over and becomes the just an evil person. Oh man, that's a good Brian point. Brian Cranston. I, Cranston, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. You guys are stumping me on this. But uh, what about you. Stephen Dorff? Why from Blade? Bad guy in Blade. Good guy in uh... True Detective. There's like a twenty year gap. Tommy Lee Jones. He's a good bad guy. Where, where Denzel from, from Batman? Well, Denzel's always a good guy. Isn't well, he? yeah, he is a bad guy. In in Batman. Batman. Dude, he's a bad guy in Training Day. Training uh, Denzel. Oh, Denzel was Ooh. King Kong got nothing on me. And he was technically a good bad guy in the Luke. What's your favorite movie? Man on Fire. Man on Fire. He did both. Get yourself an actor that can do both. That's retarded. Yeah, nobody would put that. Okay, final question. This is truly fast thinking. You don't have to think too hard about this. Your top three, top three movies of all time. Just throw them out there. And we can go one at a time. You know I John have leading many. off. Uh, like top three, like just hey, go watch this this weekend. Um, man, now you put me on the spot. Uh, Heat, Heat's got to be in there. Uh, I think Fight Club's got to be in there. The Matrix has to be in there. Um, John Wick has to be in there. I'm a fucking Dark Knight fan, man. I like uh, Dark Knight. I like yeah. Predator. 
Predator. I'll tell you, uh, what I, I watched recently, which I forgot how good it was, was Predator 2 with Danny Glover. You know Don't what? Remember. It, like, no, you, you look back, you think back, and you're like, that was such a flop. But it, no. it is. It's, it's pretty bad. good. Yeah, Danny Glover was great. Like that whole one where like the um, like the uh, kingpin reggae dude is throwing the chicken bones. And then like the next scene, yeah. he's just walking with the dude holding his head. And it's such bad CGI. Uh, I kind of like it. I'll tell you what I also like is the original Die Hard. Oh, it's a Christmas great. movie. Oh, yeah. Great rewatchable. But uh, then, so I also like, and this is this is a nostalgic vote, but the original Batman, Michael Keaton's Batman, mm-hmm. Batman One with Jack Nicholson. Like, when's the last time you rewatched that? Uh, and then the other, um, it's been a while. Then the other one is, which is one of my personal rules to live by, that if you turn on the TV and Shawshank Redemption is on, you, you are required to watch it to the very end, regardless of where it starts. Like, like there was one night I remember I was getting, like, I remember we watched some TV and we were getting ready to go to bed. And I like, just like hit like the clip, like hit on the guide and Shawshank popped up. And it was just like the opening scene of Andy Dufresne driving in. And like, hey, so you coming to bed? I'm like, yeah, one second. And all of a sudden, it was like 1 a.m. I come and check. Are you just coming to bed? I'm like, ah, Shawshank was on. And I also drank six beers. Like, like Shawshank's they call that, that movie. Shawshanked. Yeah, you're getting Shawshanked. <laughs> that one to me, still one of my favorites. The, it's the ultimate, like the ultimate bromance movie, man. It's just like on another level. I love it. Well, obviously. it's uh, it's really um, the modern day Count of Monte Cristo, you know. Like, you know, the, it's that same kind of deal where the revenge, revenge, uh, revenge is a dish best served cold. That that kid, you know, where he finds like, hey, this guy killed, you know, the warden kills him and he bides his time and he waits and he waits and waits and he fucking gets him at the very end. And then he gets his buddy out, you know, like it has that same kind of revenge is a dish best served cold to be calculating. I love it. I think Shawshank is in there. Patience. Today, John, you're going to hate this is the 24-year anniversary of Twister. So I'm putting Twister on the list. I, I, I saw Twister, like, I think I turned it off halfway through because it was so bad. Fuck that. No. So here's an interesting fun fact that I read this morning based off the 20... This is my news, Luke. <laughs> why, why is your hand over your face? Because this Twister thing. It's, it, Twister it, sucks. It sucks. It doesn't suck. It, it's, the CG, in the it's fucking it doesn't just suck it's fucking awful no rewatch it i'm gonna force you to rewatch it and you'll ch- it'll change your mind no no the so steven spielberg was a part of the movie and this is coming off jurassic park in which jurassic park the whole thing was based off making these dinosaurs look real and so the technology, the CGI didn't exist, and they hired Star Wars, Lucasfilms to help make the dinosaurs for Spielberg's deal. So then one of the next projects he takes on is Twister. And he's like, the only freaking way this is going to work, those tornadoes have to look real, including like the cow flying by, and then the other cow flying by. Uh, I love all the Indiana Jones movies, except the last one with Shia LaBeouf. Like, they should have just ended it at uh, The Last Crusade with Sean Connery and just kept it there. They tried to bring in that fucking dipshit pipsqueak, uh, Shia Don't LaBeouf. talk about my Shia like that, John. He is a saint. Kind of fucked it up with that stupid thing with the crystal skulls. So uh, I love Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade, one of my favorite movies with Sean Connery. And he's like, and I remembered my Charlemagne. And he goes and he starts, like, with his uh, umbrella scaring the birds, and they go up and they kill the Nazi fighters. 
like uh, one of the best. I I, I love. Uh, I I could sit down and watch any of the Indiana Jones movies, and any Bond movie. I love okay, Bond but movies. Okay, you have two more here. Like, do we even want to give you the airtime? Yeah, I'm gonna take it. Hot tub time machine. That's your favorite John Cusack movie. There's such bad. No, John my Cusack. favorite John Cusack movie is High Fidelity. So I'll end uh, with High Fidelity. Whoa, 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 whoa! You like that? Gross Point Blank blows those out of the water. I disagree. Music-based movie, Luke. The big guy is a John Cusack fan. I am a big. I, I am, and I think Gross Point Blank and Better Off Dead are some of his greatest movies. Man, text like. I got to tell you, like, I really do. I like you. I care about you. I consider you a close friend, family, maybe. But that is the worst set of movies I've ever been presented. And I will never, ever watch those three movies ever again in my life. And you have my word on that. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you. Pat. No, dude, High Fidelity was great. Uh, Your wife fell asleep. It was that good. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm saying that triple is garbage blower. It's a dumpster fire. That trio is yeah. just uh, dog shit. Acquired taste. It's a it's a flaming bag of dog shit that I don't even want to stamp on because I don't want to get it on my shoes. John knows. I'll tell you. I mean, I would rather watch Gone in sixty seconds with Nicolas Cage three times in a row than watch Twister once. John, I'm in. What a great idea. Fucking Twister. No. Like, it's bet it is. I'll take it over Gone in 60 Seconds. And Luke and I recently rewatched that. What, Twister? It, no, I wish. Hey, Luke, next. High Fidelity? Trailer you just know. met her. It's out. Next trailer just met her, Twister. I'm out. I'm out. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. I mean, talk about taking the, just taking the air out of my oh. tires on what, such a great podcast, McQuilkin. How dare you? How Thanks dare for listening. You? <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of the Premier Podcast and Strength and Conditioning. However, Tex, I will give you this: like you're consistent. It doesn't shock me those. That's what you selected. But like, I feel like it's. Uh, I feel like I'm talking, John. I feel like me and you are Ben Affleck talking to McQuilkin in uh, Goodwill Hunting, oh. and like someday all we can, all we want you to do is wake up. And when you give a top three movie list, not have it suck, you know? Uh, okay, like, Den of Thieves, you could have number one. You, you if twenty gone, years from now you're still giving us these top three, I mean, wrong, you, you could have done Goodwill Hunting. You could have done. I did uh, think about Goodwill Hunting. Fucking one of the best. But I didn't want to be unoriginal. I mean, I'll tell you this: uh, Geely is better than Twister. Fucking nuts! No, that's ridiculous. Now you're just trying to get yeah get me heated over here i mean He's dude I, them there. like the town heat oh yeah sounds great and you go with fucking twister yeah, yeah. oh yeah best action I movie mean, best the, action movie. the best movie that has a twister in it isn't twister it's out it's um uh wizard it, of uh, oz yeah the wizard of oz and the only problem with the wizard of oz is they didn't drop the house on you twister boy <laughs> i'm gonna have to disagree with you john um well Certainly, Wizard of Oz does rank above Twister in terms of the tornado movie category. I'm going to go ahead and put all seven Sharknados ahead of Twister as well. <laughs> no, dude. Can you imagine the pitch? It's a tornado of sharks. Make it. 
this movie sounds awful. <laughs> exactly. That's the whole point. We'll get the offspring in it. It'll be great. Yeah. Why did they make so many of those? Because they're great. Because they made money. More money than uh, Twister, I'm certain. That is not true. Uh, probably is. One movie. Yeah. No. I mean, Armageddon. I mean, Armageddon's good. The fact that like Harry Stampler. Pure jerker. Are you kidding me? I mean, Liv Tyler, Ben And the Affleck, soundtrack kicks Soundtrack. I mean, hmm. one of the best. Oh, uh, I mean, Twister, Twister's soundtrack. We're talking classics. You got Eric Clapton. It, it's pretty good. The fact that you've listened to Twister's soundtrack even bothers me. No, more. I can just recall the music from the film. <sighs> Tex, I realize there's probably like some weird connection with it. Like it was like the first time you actually had like got a handy or something weird by some chick in like junior high. So like you have this like romantic like. I did love see it form. in the theater. Yeah, you probably. I don't know. Maybe with you did two. get a handy. Ooh, like maybe it's open mouth kissing with some like young Philly or some dude. I mean, who knows? I'm, I'm not judging, <laughs> but like, I feel like there's like an emotional connection with Twister. Like it was the last That's movie. different though, John, that's a different category. Like, Hey, what are your three most nostalgic or emotionally significant movies that you saw? Because you, you know, kissed Twi- a girl, Twister, Twister and Twister. Cause I don't know. <laughs> maybe it's the first time you felt a boob. A.K.A. the titty twister. That's <laughs> her boob. That's assault, brother. <laughs> now it is. Back then in the eighties, it was just called the first date. That was the first. Was that first base? I never. I never got there. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm still waiting. Mm, I think it's second base. You would know. You what's frisky first base? son of a gun kissing? Oh, I think you know, all that stuff changed now. I think like BJ's not first base. <laughs> oh, like that's what I read somewhere. Whole different game. What's a Z it's a whole different ballpark. If you got ass, big man, you can't afford it. That's how we end it, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Ding. Ding. Uh, bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head over to academy.powerathletehq.com to take advantage of the ACL injury prevention course that has recently been released. It's time that you, as a coach, master the art of injury risk reduction. Until next time, bye!